All right, everyone, we are going to do this intro in one take because I've already spent so much time editing this episode. Um, today on the show, we have Chris Neltner, but most of you probably know him as Inkilla. And today we have a four-hour episode for you, or at least close to that. So if you don't know Chris, I recommend going into this episode blind and form your own opinions about him. He's a person that likes to think outside the box. So to just put it plainly, if talking about eating your own bodily fluids bothers you, then this isn't the episode for you. Some of you are upset that Chris was coming on because of the things he said on New Schoolers. My goal with this show is to dive into every side of skiing. I reached out to Chris because I want to find out about the man behind the persona, behind the Instagram stories, behind all the crazy posts. So even though this isn't the hit piece that some of you wanted, we went through and answered most of the listener questions. So I'm going to take the most controversial ones and post them separately on New Schoolers. Honestly, I'm not even sure YouTube would let us keep the episode up with some of the conspiracy stuff that we talked about. So I'm just going to play it safe in that regard. Also, we had to split up the recording across two separate sessions, so that's why there's a little intermission in the middle of this one. For housekeeping, episodes are going to be a little bit more sporadic now that we're in the fall and my work is picking up a little bit. Um, if you like the show, be sure to subscribe and give us a rating. If you want to stay up to date on what we're doing, follow us on Instagram at 2 Pod. And that is it. Hope you guys enjoy it. Here we are, and this is the Ankilla episode. I think we got to start with, I mean, your name. So what is Ankilla? Because I know that your name's Chris. I don't know if you want to formally introduce yourself to everyone. Yeah, yeah, what's up, everybody? Uh, some of y'all probably actually do know me as Chris. Um, but if you really know me, you know me as Chris Neltner, you know. But whatever, X Ankilla is the new shit. So where did that come from? Because... And like, and when did it, when did you make that personality? Cause it really is a big personality at this point. Dude, you're right. And actually I, I just as a little side note, maybe it was like a year ago or something, man, I, I must've like taken some type of psychedelics or just smoked a lot or something. And it just like hit me. I was just like, have I always been living under this persona? Like it, it seems so natural. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, but here, I, I'll tell you how it all started. And it's, it's an interestingly fun story about brothers, if you ask me. So, so X ain't kill. First of all, so people can understand structure is, you know how it's ASAP Rocky? You know, it's the gang and then his name. X Ankilla is the same thing, just backwards. So Ankilla is the fucking crew, the day one A ones. Um, and so Ankilla was originally my older brother's ski crew. So him and all of his friends in high school, they're like freshmen. I mean, just graduated eighth grade kind of stuff. And, um, they go to two different private high schools, St. X and Moeller, and um, like half of them take Latin and half of them take Spanish. 
but my brother was the one who was really a Latin buff. Like that kid thought he was just hot shit because like he knew this language that people just didn't know, you know, because that's what Latin is. It's totally a dead language, but because it was like the core of making all languages, you just like get a better feel for how language is constructed and used kind of thing. Well, anyways, anyways, so shout out to all my like fellow Latin class homies. Freshman year, the textbook was Eke Romani, right? Um, pretty basic Latin textbook, right? And it's the first chapter or the second chapter. It's just really quick. Now, keep in mind, I took Latin too, because anything my older brother did, I was like, oh, that's cool, you know? And uh first or second chapter it has the latin word for slave woman and guess what it is ancilla it's a-n-c-i-l-l-a you know because that's i guess just what romans did they just had slave women everywhere you know that's how the book painted it and so <clears throat> my older brother and his friends just like they're like yo bitches dude fucking bitches and they're like yo and it has kill in it like we a bunch of killers you know like dude and killer yo tim make a logo you know and that's when they first like they got their logo because tim was tim was and killers like filmer uh and he also went to like an art school so he's just well versed in that and so he made that shit and they started filming and dude, there was nothing more that I wanted to do than to be in my older brother's ski crew. Like that, that was my first goal ever when it came to skiing was, you know, before I started elevating and saying like, no, I want to be as cool as uh, Jibulent, the crew before us at Perfect North, uh, which you would know like Chris Laker was in a bunch of other amazing riders, uh, even, I think Gepper, yeah, Gepper filmed with them too a little bit. Um, a heavy crew, a great crew to like be growing up at Perfect North and watching those kids every day. Um, anyways, anyways, but the main goal was to like be in my older brother, Michael's ski crew. Like I thought that shit was cool. I'm in fucking seventh grade kind of shit. Um, just got my first pair of twin tips, uh, 08 line invaders, the really ugly ones that are like lime yellow on the top or lemon yellow, I guess. And then neon fucking pink on the bottom with fucking luchadors. <sighs> Dude, if you ask me, it's a really ugly ski, but it was my first ski, so I kind of love it to death still, you know. Um, anyways, anyways, so my brother didn't allow me to be on Ankila. You know, this was his, this was his ski crew. Chris, go make your own ski crew. Well, dude, like none of my friends like skied park, you know. I was trying to get my one friend Kurt too, but like anyways so like i'm like man that that's fucking whack and pretty much until my brother you know um graduated high school and then moved to uh osu to attend there well 
I wasn't allowed to be in Ankilla. Literally, all of high school, I wasn't allowed to be. I just like, oh man, if I could, they film. I don't, you know, kind of shit. But see, when my brother's group all graduated high school, they went to so many different, you know, colleges and universities that like the crew just like super fucking dissolved. Um, and Tim, our filmer, was the only one that stayed back in fucking Cincinnati. Um, all the others went other places. And so Tim really was the core of Van Killa, you know, holding it down as the filmer. And so he then was just like, well, I need homies. I need a crew because I want to do this kind of thing. Like he was goal oriented with Ankilla, which fucking amazing if you ask me. And so then he started asking like me and like the younger guys kind of thing. And dude, just like ear to ear fucking smile when he's just like, yo, Chris, do you want to start filming for the Ankilla movie? And I'm like, for the movie? And he's just like, yeah. And I was like, can I get some shots in there? And he's like, dude, I want you to have a segment. And I was just like, Whoa! you know, the winds of fucking Satan. I was just like, oh, saw my life flash. I'm like, whoa, that's tight, homie. Um, and so, yeah. And so it then turned into the crew that most people would know, you know? Um, so like, shout out to Cam Cop the underground fucking ski rail tech god. Uh, he's saucy. Look him up. If y'all don't know him, it's Instacam on Instagram. But he's also on New Schoolers. You can find his edits. You can find his shit. Kid, kid was my OG and a hell of a character. Like, if y'all think I'm weird, y'all would just think Cam Cop is just next level. He just, like, plays it off a little better you know, kind of shit. Um, Gunther Oka, who, if y'all are familiar with wakeboarding, he's Red Bull wakeboarding, and Kid is, like, literally the Tom Wallace of wakeboarding. Like, bro, I'm not even kidding. And then to, like, watch that kid on skis, like, he will not have skied for a year, but because he's just such a goddamn good wakeboarder, he just, like, oh, Gunther's learning three swaps today. And we're just like, dude, but he's like, this is like his first day back for Christmas. And he's learning blind three swaps on the DFD. Just like, geez, he's just that type of kid, homie. And like, there's, there's a few times to where like Gunther just does some shit. And you're just like, what? Excuse me? Anyways, other people like B story, the fucking frat boy, uh, fucking freddie mazza he was gonna blow up dude he was like fucking 12 years old throwing switch cork sevens that were saucy because like this is a cool little story i think it was like andy hall and cam cop no 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 i think i think laker was involved too they picked two little groms from uh perfect north so it was brian newton and freddie mazza and they both said I'm going to get this kid better than your kid. It was like a coaching contest, you know? And so like Freddie just grew up riding with, you know, essentially professional level riders and dude, kid was hella good. I want that kid to come back to skiing. 
Uh, and then we've got a bunch of snowboarders like uh, Jason Lockstercamp, uh, Aaron Tufts. Um, yeah, anyways, super fucking great crew. And how I became ex Killa is by the time I graduated college, Tim was done with filming. He said he wanted to do three movies. We did that, Somnium, Subtropic, and Syzygy. And yes, we all know that it's SSS, you know? Um, it just kind of turned out that way. I like it. And so after uh, Syzygy, you know, it was kind of another thing to where like the first group of Ankylla dissolved after high school this one was dissolving after college you know just people were interested in other things and Tim just didn't want to spend the time on a new movie and so here's the thing I still very much was about skiing I'm looking at Ankylla as the Midwest four by nine and I'm just like yo we could pop off with this shit homie like we've got some damn good riders like bruh put it this way you could put us up against anybody and we're still gonna show out you're still gonna like we're going to look like we fit in like freddie and b story dude they'll fucking come to keystone and ski with me and it's literally their first day of hitting jumps because perfect north doesn't get even small jumps until like january it's crazy and so they will come to Keystone and they will be hitting Proline. First day of jumps, throwing rodeo sevens and cork sevens, like first hits. And I'm just sitting there and I'm just like, oh, fuck. It fucks me up because like, I'm not that level of jump jock, you know? Uh, but anyways, anyways, so really dope crew but it just kind of disbanded and then I moved out to Keystone after college and so I wanted to really like I wanted to keep it going if you first look at the first few edits I put out um it will be like part of the edit is just me skiing uh like Copper's Hike Park or whatever like that and then I give them the closing shots of just some bangers then it says Angela you know, kind of thing. But, you know, everybody went their own decision. And so like more and more, it was like, I was the lone survivor of Ankylla. And that meant a lot to me because like, you know, if you asked me back in the day, you know, me and my brother's crew were all just going to blow up and be exactly like four by nine. And I was like really excited about that shit. Not that I even really knew what four by nine totally was back then, but like, it was just more like the concept. It was just like, oh, we're going to be the cool group of kids kind of thing. Uh, yeah. And so like, that was just dissolving. And so Side story. So that's how I became Ankylla. So now let's talk about X. And it's a short, fun little story. It's just uh, Andy Hall, who's the park manager at Perfect North. He decided to like have a weekly rail jam. You know, he thought that would be like great for the community, which it was. I loved it. And what it was is like, 
so everybody paid in like I, I don't know like five ten dollars and then whoever got first takes all the money kind of thing and so like it's pretty lit and so we had that contest and um you had to sign up for it and so I I don't even know why I think it was just because it was in my ski bag randomly but I had like a bank robber like ski mask and I put it on for the first time ever and just wore it went up to Andy and I was and I was just like yo sign me up and he's just like Chris and I'm like no skier x I'm not Chris Nautner I'm skier x you know well I end up taking first place you know at the contest and got like $95 and this fucking handmade trophy by Andy fucking piece of wood cut up with the chainsaw um yeah and so that's the thing is he announced it he was just like who is skier x skier x wins first place you know kind of thing and it was this giant inside joke even to this day that I still hear at perfect north you know, it's just like, oh, that's Skier X. And whenever anybody says that to me, I say, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. Shut up. You know, kind of thing. So it's so that's where the X comes from. And I was just like, yo, X and killer, X and killer. And it's funny because the name has even continued to like change and grow. You know, people call me Zan killer. Um, person who came up with this this is kind of lit i have to tell you this story so micomte and i are like fucking homies and i'm so stoked just because i look so much up to that man and uh he was he was fucking chilling with like dolo isaac and like b dog i think it was and so he just throws me up on the face and he's just like yo this my boy X killer, you know? And so they're all just like, yo, what's up? Dude, I fucking, it was one of those things where you're like, oh my God, I'm looking at Dolo, you know, just kind of thing. Oh, dude. So, you know, X and killer, Zan killer, X killer, uh, fucking Zanye, that's the new one. But long, long answer, but there you go. Dude, that is a, that's a better story than I expected, honestly. So what does your brother think that after gatekeeping his crew from you, now you're known by the name of the, the entire crew? I will tell you. I will tell you something. So Ankilla did a lim limited run of Ankilla hoodies. It's just a simple, tall, black uh, Ankilla with a black hoodie with a white Ankilla logo right there. And so, I mean, they're still out today and I get DMs about like, yo, man, are you selling these? And I'm like, no, nah, that's just Chetta being out at Hood, you know, who's another Ankyla member. Uh, but so my older brother, he's more into college now. And so he didn't get a hoodie, but like he heard about it and he kind of wanted a hoodie. And so I ended up taking my hoodie and modifying it and sewing it I sewed this cool black and red pattern just a stripe of it right in the center of the hoodie you know just as the classic way like if anybody doesn't know why they see skiers in tall hoodies with one stripe around the waist that is how you extend a hoodie 
you know? And because me growing up, I just thought, like, where do they buy those hoodies? Little did I know, I think Kyle Taylor's fucking grandma literally would do the sewing for him, you know? And so I made a hoodie like that with this dope black and red pattern on that black hoodie and it's dope. And so for Christmas, I gave my brother that hoodie, you know? Now, this is why it's relevant is I think about that hoodie so much because like my closet right now with all these kits dude I could accessorize that hoodie so fucking hard like people lose their mind over that hoodie and it's so simple but it's just like mm, god damn you know so my brother he doesn't park ski he's like a, a pilot now you know with a wife and a baby on the way and so you know he he doesn't really use it you know he'll go on a ski vacation and he'll wear it because you know that's his only hoodie ski hoodie um but so like I'll hit him up and I'm just like yo man I know you're not using it would you mind shipping it out west you know like I'd love to like use it in an edit man it would really help my brother gets so lit about that shit and he's just like well I mean you did give it to me on Christmas. So it is like mine. And you know, like this is really like my last piece of like Ankyla, like memorabilia. So like, I just can't, I'm sorry, Chris, I can't. And like, dude, I remember losing my shit in uh, uh, Keystone's fucking Zuma chairlift line. And I'm just like, <clears throat> like, man, I thought it was gonna work. So my brother, my brother, he's a Taurus, keep in mind. I'm a Sagittarius. We, we just kind of naturally don't see eye to eye in certain ways. Um, and yeah, my brother's, he's got this stubborn of like, I made this, you know, kind of thing, which he's not wrong. He's not wrong. But then, you know, I'm the kid who made something of it, you know? And so there's a little bit of tension. Wow. That's interesting, man. So uh, let's take it back to like growing okay. up. So you grew Ooh. up in Ohio, right? Yeah, Cincinnati, Ohio, Finneytown. Okay. In the city or like were you a suburbs kid? Uh Oh, suburbs kid completely. Fucking funny town is like as suburban as it gets. Yeah. So, I mean, and you talk about your family all the time on your Instagram live. So like, or yeah. not live, on your stories. So like – one brother multiple siblings like what were, what are you working with um older brother michael by a year and a half two grades though and a younger sister by two grades but two and a half years rachel and okay. then obviously two parents word you get you so did you have middle child syndrome growing up were you always fighting to get some attention yes yes because you need to keep in mind michael and rachel were like best of homies bro best of homies and but also like on an astrological perspective like michael is a taurus rachel is like literally right there on the line of like taurus and gemini so she like she kind of is herself so there's just like similar people they look similar i look different i'm the only blonde kid in my family everyone else has brown hair typically darker brown hair 
So what were some of these ways that you would uh, try to define yourself when you were younger? Were you, were you one of those kids that would get really into something and then like a month later be onto something completely different, but like always diving in or what did you kind of have set interests that you carried with you? Um, dude, if I do something, I do something balls to the wall. And it's been like that since day one. Cause my first love in life was reptiles, man. Like Steve Irwin, Jeff Corwin on the animal planet. Like, shut the fuck up, dude. Oh, so good. And so like in kindergarten, because my dad likes reptiles too, which was like, cool. I'm like, oh, you like reptiles too? And turns out my dad, you know, would catch like black rat snakes um, and just keep them. <laughs> Not supposed to do that now, but anyways. Um, yeah, and so by kindergarten, we had two ball pythons. And then, I mean, shortly after, I'm pretty sure we got Clyde, our red-tailed boa, who was like, he was a big boy. He was like seven and a half feet and 30 pounds, you know? Um, then we got Rosa the iguana, got a bunch of king snakes and corn snakes. I had a Molly Euromastic, a European glass lizard, and then my most beloved, my monitor lizards. I will tell you what, if I ever get another reptile, it will be a monitor lizard because they are, I just match them. Personality-wise, I match a monitor lizard very well. So I can handle monitor lizards better than the average person maybe it's because i've just had multiple for many years but it's also just like an approach like that's that here's something that a lot of people don't get is like if you have a certain type of approach or energy certain types of animals match that and so they you can very freely touch them if you're able to match their energy or you know they will allow you to interact with them um and so monitor lizards are tricky very tricky because it's a really aggressive lizard pretty much every species up and down has like a fucking mean tooth to it but if you work with them enough you give them enough love and just mostly just socialize them just like with yourself you know, and let them know that being touched by a human is actually a good thing, you know, then they just become like puppy dogs, just fucking sharp ass, sharp tooth, fucking scaly puppy dogs, like three to four feet. That's sick. I have an albino uh, Texas rat snake and that definitely, or it's, it's leucistic really. That's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So Dude, I, I know exactly what you're saying. Like when it was just really little, it would bite me all the time. And and then once you just train it, like you're, you just get it used to being handled and like you show them that like, hey, I'm not going to run away if you bite me. They just get used to it. And you're like, all right, whatever. I'm being handled right now. Yeah, dude. And that's that's something I love because a lot of people like to kind of essentially almost condemn reptiles as being like soulless, lifeless, cold. And they can be, but they're also they're sweet yeah they're super cool and it's great like they're not as needy as some other animals so like you could just leave them alone for a while if you want and they'll be like completely fine with it amen dude <laughs> we would just let our uh green iguana rosa and i would let charlotte and autumn 
my monitor lizards just roam the uh, screened in porch or just like the basement. And they would just, dude, they loved it, man. They Lizards in them, they just like checking. Well, iguanas love chilling. Find the highest spot you can and just chill. Monitor lizards, dude, they're on the prowl for fucking food 24 seven. And so like, man, that is the one thing they get into places and you're just like how the fuck are you in here you know you you have to like cut open the back of the couch yeah damn that's that's yeah. pretty intense <laughs> so when did you get really in i mean i'm sure you had other other interests that you just like dive completely into and we'll touch on like some of the more yeah. recent ones but like when did you get really into skiing just to get us back on track I start, well, see, I got into skiing in increments kind of thing, you know, uh, at the same pace, you know, for a certain period, and then it changes to a higher gear pace. And so, like, I was really excited about skiing in seventh and eighth grade, you know, and then high school high school skiing was definitely a thing that I really love to do, but also keep in mind, I'm playing uh, lacrosse. And then I also have a girlfriend and a friend group. And so now with that being said, did my girlfriend, all my high school girlfriend, Madison would always say that skiing was the other woman. And like, she was right. I'd be like, yo, I, I can't kick it on Friday, but like on Saturday night after skiing, because I skied Friday night and Saturday morning, then yeah, we can kick it, you know? Um, and so, you know, I, I was still skiing and I really liked it. But then when I hit college, dude, college was like kind of a wake up call because college was when, um, and Killis started filming their three movies. We stopped my sophomore year. So sophomore, junior, senior year, we had a movie. Um, and so that was a huge thing because like, I always wanted to be, you know, a film skier and it was really legit. Cause we would even have uh, fucking premieres, you know, at the local like movie theater, you know, Tim would fucking drop like, I don't know. It's it's like five hundred bucks or something to rent out one of those theaters, um, and then everybody would come. Like everybody, you bring your family. Sure, this is a family event, but then also bring all your homies. You know, like everyone at Perfect North would show up, and that was so cool to be able to like see everyone I'm riding with outside of skiing. You know, like, it was funny because, like, there's a little awkwardness when, like, you know, you're seeing people for the first time just, like, without ski gear and they're wearing gym shoes, you know, or, like, I, I, I don't know. And so, but it was really a community thing and we loved it. And so, like, I took my skiing during college very serious, but I will add this, my senior, my, I, I take skiing in college more and more seriously each year but then junior year when I'm depressed man I'm taking this shit serious but then 
senior year, I'm mad fucking depressed. And my family just ostracized me by kicking me out of the fucking house. You know, like, whoa. So I go insanely hard on skiing. And that was a huge year season for me. And then once I got out to here, man, the first year at Keystone, I just like, maybe it's just, I was just like, damn, like I, I had to prove myself kind of thing. I, I was there for fucking war. Like I, I felt like people were trying to like flex on me, which like Josh Wong kind of flexed on me. He trashed me in a, a, a game of slush, you know, my first season. And I'm like b- battling somebody that I've been watching on fucking new schoolers for years. And I'm like, <laughs> I kind of held my own. I was able to give them one letter. I was pretty stoked on that. Um, but yeah, and then see what happens though, the years after. So my second year out of here, uh, third year, then fourth year is just like, I just get better and better at what I'm doing. And so the vision just becomes more and more whole. And so I just go harder and harder every single year, just because it feels good. It feels right. And even with blowing my knee, you know, and having two shitty seasons because of it, you know, like, nah, now I'm just like mad hyped. I'm mad hyped. Mm-hmm. So where did you go to college? Were you commuting? Because you said that you were living at home. Um, okay, so I was living at my, well, I was going to Miami University of Oxford, Ohio. So it's only like 45 minutes above Cincinnati. And um, I did live at school. The only times I'd be home would be for breaks or weekends because I would stay the weekend down there, um, mostly during the winter because they were closer to Perfect North. It was only like a 30 minute drive from their house opposed to the like 55 minute drive from Miami. Um, And so, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that's, what I did so I kind of felt like a commuter because I drove a lot because I like skiing I have a clip to show you right now and I'm going to ask oh, you go for it. I'm going to ask you what you think of it and you could tell us a little backstory all right this clip right here so the clip we're watching is a dude riding at perfect north sends it off the jump and high fives someone on the lift and if I if I remember correctly is that you yeah homie come on bro we all know that yeah bro that was like probably the first dope thing i've ever done to where just like every single person who has seen that shit is just like yo yo my dude yeah that is crazy man i can't believe i mean it it went super viral but like i can't Mm -hmm. believe that more people don't like i feel like it's not super well known that it was you in that video Cause it doesn't oh, even look no. like your style anymore. Well, see that, see, it was hash day, you know? Yeah. And I, I don't know if everybody else does hash day or not, but hash day is the day before Gaper day. And everybody dresses like skaters, you know, you fucking wear like truck hats and fucking open flannels and like the tightest fucking skinny jeans you can. And just like totally look like a dirt bag. Yeah. And that video, 
if I'm not wrong, it ended up on Ellen, right? Hell yeah, brother. Me and Ellen. Yeah, we we, we kind of tight, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so what's the story with that? Like, did they reach out to you? What, what was going on with that? Um, so essentially what happens, um, man, I am forgetting the homie that, uh, filmed it. So like, so here's kind of the story of it is, it was just one of the last days of the season. And I just, that trainee caught my eye. I was like, it's pretty dang close to the chairlift, you know, like, and so I started hitting it, trying to high five, do the first dude I tried to high five. I scared the shit out of him. He was not paying attention. Then there's a kid like almost at eye level coming at him. Dude, like homie almost fell off the chairlift kind of thing. Um, Yeah. And so I started doing that. Then eventually I was getting good enough at it that like, I would tell my friends with a GoPro to like, yo, yo, dude, I'll high five you. So there is a video of them from the chairlift getting high five kind of thing but this kid I forget his name um he was just like yo can I film you and I was like well yeah but I'm not waiting for you because you have to go at this certain point and you know once you go you carve to the left you take a one or two pushes and then you know so I, I was methodical with it and so just that one time you know he pulled out the phone and he followed me is when I got my homie and uh he it was just on like new schoolers i did put it on instagram and like shit like that but i think he put it on youtube or some something like that and so juke and media one of these viral video companies uh bought it from him for 250 bucks and so like i, I made like 150 or something on it and so that that company then like brings it to all those TV, you know, those garbage yep. TV shows. Yep. Like, hey, this is a viral video. Exactly, and that's how I got on it. And it was so fucking funny because B Story was the first one to see it. And okay, so this is like I don't know, my junior year or senior year, this junior year of college. Me and my roommate Jalen are just like fucking stoned out of our minds, just watching like fucking Family Guy. And this is back when like I I ate everything. And so we're eating like salt and pepper lemon chicken, just on the couch, just like two dudes just munching and just watching. And I look at my phone and B Story's just blowing it up. He's like, yo, dude, you're on the Ellen show. Bro, you're on the Ellen show. And I like look at it and I'm just like, I look at Jalen and I'm just kind of like, I guess I'm on the Ellen show. And like, I just put my phone down and just like continue eating some fucking chicken. And like Jalen, Jalen is, he's always up on all the latest E! News and stuff. And so he's like, bro, you're on the Ellen show? And I was just like, I don't know, dude. My friend says he is. And so sure enough, we saw it. And I was just kind of like, that's cool. <laughs> yeah, but hey, the best part is, is that is one video that like I could show all of my family and my family was like, that's really cool. Because keep in mind, skiing has been a very separate venture from my family. Sure, my brother did it. He did it for a little bit. My parents, they don't know how to ski. My sister, and kind of you know, but it's much more of like a vacation activity than like 
you know, a mastery of skill. Yeah, dude. Yeah, and that makes total sense. Like, you show that to anyone and they understand it, but you show them one of your edits and they're like, what the hell? You even, sh- <laughs> you even show some skiers your edits and they're like, what the hell is this? Dude, dude, when I was at fucking, uh, when I was at Geplin Bombs, you know, over at uh, Gepper's house, uh, you know, I'm just chilling with, like, Steve one night uh, and he's he's playing me a bunch of like fucking edits and shit that he was in like i almost felt like he was kind of flexing but like keep in mind i'm the ultimate fan of steve steph and so i'm just like yo this is tight as fuck this is tight as fuck you know like i would love to watch edits with like the skiers that make them and just be like yo so anyways he's doing that and like then i was just like yo yo type in uh xx2 yeah yeah that one yeah watch it and so he watched that one and that kid was just so bamboozled about like what to make of it he was just like yeah i i don't even recall if he said anything honestly he's just like word all right that was a video (laughs) yeah it's just like that was five minutes and 55 seconds of something yeah, dude. Some of those videos are a little bit puzzling. Maybe we'll get we'll get into that a little bit down the road. But I want to I want to ask you when did you get really into fashion? Because that's like or like style per se. Like because that's a huge part of like the the persona that you've built up. Well, thank you. And FYI, I want you to appreciate the kit I'm wearing right now. Like I feel like this is the Chris Neltner like. OG swag, you know, the puffy with the baseball chain and wife beater. Uh, don't forget the earring. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, okay, so I'm gonna have to just tell a story for this because keep in mind, I grew up very artistic. I love colors, I love drawing, you know. And so as I was like in my in-between teenage years and stuff like that dude, I had no idea how to fucking dress, you know? And in a way it was weird because I knew I could draw pretty pictures, but like I couldn't put together a shirt and pants to save my life. I remember my mom like kind of like, really, Chris, you're going to wear that to gym class? And it was like orange shorts with like a purple shirt that like, and it was a nasty purple, you know? And ever just since then like I look at the other kids in gym class you know because keep in mind the grade school I went to was all uniforms um so like when it came to dressing as yourself I really only did that at my house you know and once I started having gym class and seeing what other kids bring as gym clothes I'm just like yeah their clothes all look better than my like I I don't know I just look like "Ah," you know and it was just something I always noticed and then in high school my girlfriend was just like I'm taking you shopping right um which like I secretly was just like thank you fucking thank you I've been like because I was getting style tips from my dad back then, man, with the fucking khaki cargo shorts with a belt and type of shit, man. Like, oh, I don't like that shit. And so, like, my my high school girlfriend helped me with the style. But then in college, I still, like, was kind of finding it. But then, like, 
and this is just streetwear, FYI. Let me get to skiing. Um, and then finally, once I'm out in Colorado, I'm an adult. I live my own life. I get to choose my own clothes. I, I now have fun with fashion. It is really fun and it's really enjoyable. Now, to the skiing perspective of fashion. So the first ever ski edit that I ever saw was Team America, Joss, right? So Simon Dumont and T-Wall. And that set the standard right off. Like this is how you dress. And keep in mind at Perfect North, I mean, we got people like Chris Laker and then all of Jibulent, like, dude, man, I swear to God, like, it's crazy to me that now when I ski, I look around and like, I feel like nobody has an eye for fashion, but then like, when I think back to like jibulent and shit like that, dude, dude, everybody's kit was sick. It was custom in this way, or like, you don't know about that brand, or he's got a spe special sponsorship, like Brad Kohlmeyer, dude, hoodest fucking shit ever. He had uh, like these really, I, I don't know, they're weird snow pants just with a really tacky but it, it looked like camo from afar, but it was actually really tacky patterned snow pants um, with muted colors, so it looked like camo. But then he would have this, I still can't say it, is it Arkram or Akram hoodie? It was like a Midwest little hoodie brand, and they made the dopest, tallest hoodies, had a giant screen printed AK-47, like vertical on it and then on the other side just like these huge block letters that said like Arkham or something and Brad Kohlmeyer was fucking insane he was like he's tossing like dub 12s with Laker homie you know and he's I think he's younger than me honestly um yeah and dude I could keep on going so like I knew that the skiers I loved you know, like T-Wall and like John Brogan, uh, Dolo, and et cetera. There's more, but um, I knew that they dressed so well. They looked the part. They weren't just able to do it. Like if they roll up anywhere, everybody, I don't care if you're some old grandma, you know that they are someone. But if you're a skier, you know who they are, you know, because like, let's be real. If, if nobody told you that Dolo was showing up to some ski hill, but you see a kid dressing like that of his stature, you're like, I don't know what Dolo's doing here, but that right there is Henry Carlo, you know, kind of thing. You, you can be very confident with it. You know, and that's always been my goal because riding the chairlifts, uh, you know, the chairlift is right next to the park at Perfect North. And so it's nice. It's only about like a th four minute chair, I think. Um, but for those four minutes, you get to have a very close aerial view of the park. And so you watch all your homies or even better, you watch the good kids. And so, you know, me and my homie, Kurt, during high school, we'd be sitting on the chairlift and I'd slap his shoulder. I'm like, yo, yo, Kurt, Kurt, cam's dropping, cam's dropping. Or, you know, like, yo, Laker, Laker, you know? And you just 
throw a quick finger and hopefully they see it by the time that they're done fucking stomping the piss out of whatever they're doing. Cause like, dude, you have to keep in mind, like perfect North is such a center of fucking style. Like if Laker doesn't prove that, you know, and I, I do want to give props. Gepper has his own style. Now people hate on it and they say like, oh, it's robotic. So therefore it's not style. Robotic is still a style. Let's just call it calculated. That actually has like a, a positive kind of spin to it. Um, but anyway, so like the style in which you skied in and then the kit that you had, because keep in mind, all of my OGs had multiple fire kits and so just like oh dude it tore me up and so I wanted to be that way you know plus like here's here's another thing so my parents really didn't support my skiing they bought me my first pair of directional skis you know for like 65 bucks and then a pair of boots for like 35 bucks but otherwise I've paid for everything and so not everybody like that in the park, you know, has that situation. Their parents buy them in. They're just like, oh, you're going skiing? So, honey, pick out your favorite jacket and I'll buy it, you know? And so, like, you know, B-Story always had a kit, you know? Gunther always had a kit. Scott always had a kit, you know, kind of thing. Um, but there's this one specific kid. He went to my high school. He was a year younger. His name was Daniel something, but he's just this freckle faced clown haired fuck boy. You know, I played lacrosse with him. He's damn good at lacrosse, but he is a cocky motherfucker to be that ugly, you know, but he also skied park, right? He had some, uh, I think, oh, nine anthems, you know, um, and like brand new FYI. That's the time period. Um, or around there. I think it's 2011-ish. But anyways, this kid, I've, I just knew he had such a bad attitude, a spoiled little prick, honestly. Like we almost fought, you know, during uh, Hell Week for lacrosse, dude. And it's just over some stupid shit. He like comes up to me and he's just like, you're in my spot. And I'm like looking at him because he's a sophomore. I'm a junior. Um, and I'm just like, dude, go to the fucking back. And he like, homie, like started trying to get physical, but then coach Craig was like right there and like, yeah, that shit ended. But anyways, he, he had all of the brand new gear. I mean, he had fit, you know, easy 1500 to $2,000 worth of gear. And he's just skiing at a Midwest mountain, you know, like perfect North. He's a Cincinnati kid. He had a blue and yellow full first drop kit, you know? And then he had Oakley crowbars, you know, the bougiest ones you could get. He had brand new colorful fucking helmet, um, brand new uh, marker bindings. He had the uh, T-walls, the red and white T-walls. And then he also had, like I said, the 09 um, line anthems. And so like, the kit and the gear is bonkers you know it's just it did have a look back then bright colors were pretty hot I would say I mean think about Tom Wallace like he had that bright uh blue yellow with the red uh tank under it like you know bright colors were in and so like his shit like 
dude, it was so popping, but he was just completely, cause he wasn't good at skiing either. He was the type of kid and I hated this cause I saw him do this shit so much um, is he would go to the top of the rail line and then he'd sit down and get on his phone and he'd sit on his phone there for like five minutes. And then get this, when he puts his phone away, he skis around the feature and down the hill. Like he might hit one rail, like the, the very last rail at the bottom, the smallest, but he would just like skip it. And he's just like, I guess you could say you're chilling with your friends, but his friends were all doing the same thing. And I'm just like, that's whack. Hit the fucking rail. Like you can't be looking like a goddamn fucking God out here. And you just like, he, I, and he tried to slide uh, one rail and he, dude, he just ate shit. And like, I don't know, you could say I'm being hard on somebody who just doesn't know, but like, I also had that beef, but I also had insecurity about myself. You need to keep in mind, fashion is a huge thing about security because if you're insecure, you will not dress well because you know that that puts eyes on you. And if you're insecure, that's the last thing you want. That's the last thing you want is people looking at you. Oh, yeah. And so, yeah, so that was just a really big kind of key is you need to dress as good as you are. You can dress well without looking like you're dolo you know, or like, and that's something that was a nice thing with those uh, 08 line invaders I had that was just like stupidly ugly bright colors. It forced me to then start wearing uh, black or white or gray, you know, because those were the only colors that worked or I found a light blue wood. So I would, you can catch me in some pictures of this light blue tall tee um, that I wear. And really, it's funny because black and white is still the basis of my kits. When I form a kit, I, I say black and white is in there. I'm going to use it however I need, you know? Um, yeah, and then, see, that's the thing. So that's just, you know, me growing up high school at Perfect North and college at Perfect North, you know? Um, and I will tell you, dude, is like another great thing about just fashion is if you change your fashion every year, then it's very easy to remember what you did and what year you did it. Because you just think to yourself, damn, uh, 4XL blue gibberish vault hoodie. What year is that? I'm like, oh, that's uh, 2013 to 2014, you know? Or, and so like, that's how I can think about my own ski history is what was I wearing? And I, I can tell you what I was wearing and then it just corresponds. Um, and, but also keep in mind, now as I'm in college and at Perfect North, I'm, everybody knows me, everybody loves me. You know, I'm like the most stylish kid at Perfect North kind of thing, you know. Um, I started my, before I was more or less just copying the, uh, the pros of the game to dress like them because I knew if you at least dress like them, you look good, you know? Um, it, was, it was, I think my sophomore year that I started 
making my own shit. And that's when the game kind of changed for me because I, I don't know. I, I felt personally, I, I'm skiing in Ankylla. And like I said, Gunther, Cam, Freddie, and B Story, they murdered it. So how do I stand out? Because I was the worst kid. Even though I literally have like six years on Freddie, I'm literally the worst kid. You know, like I have some good tricks, but like I don't got dubs. Pretty much all of them had dubs, you know. Um, and so I eventually had to realize after our first movie that like I need to be look, I need to play the game differently. If I play their game, if I go skiing with them, I can't keep up. But if I play my own game, if I just start skiing for myself by myself, then that's my game. I get to do what I get to do. Um, and so when I had that realization was the first year of the blackout, everything black, murdered out goggles, black tall tee, black pants, black boots, black skis, you know, everything, black icons. Um, and that was just an amazing year for me when I finally just kind of said like, yo, I'm going to just do what I want to do. And if I'm doing what I want to do, I want to dress how I want to dress in order to complement what I'm doing. Because I noticed with me, my brother actually told me this. He was just like, Chris, 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 half the skiing is looking good. It's literally just dressing up. And because like my brother and I, we would go to thrift stores and always just try to find like the newest little like come up and, you know, and then we'd wear it to Perfect North and be like, yo, dude, check this, check this. Dude, is fucking, that was another thing. It's like, even before we could, because we couldn't afford ski gear, we would just go to the local ghetto clothing store you know, a few blocks down and do we buy like these giant fucking like baseball jerseys and shit like that for like $3 kind of thing. And then we wear it skiing and some of them were too tight FYI, but yeah. And so we would just do that because that's how we got ski gear. Our parents are like, you have a winter coat, Chris. And I'm like, but it's like five years old and for school. And she's just like, sorry, Chris, sorry, no. And so me and my brother would just, you know, like buy oversized hoodies, you know, and, and just other polos and just a wide variety of things. Um, anyways, to kind of end this, because believe me, this is, fashion is a very deep and complicated, um, I don't know, aspect or realm of skiing. But essentially, at a certain point, when I noticed that I was dressing better than the pros that I grew up admiring, you know, I started looking around me and saying, who else does it better than the pros, you know? And that's something that blows my mind is like, the, you know, especially moving to Keystone and now like being in the summit kind of scene. I was just like, 
yeah, there's some homies that dress, but I wasn't really ever impressed by anybody, you know? And people know this. If you do dress well and I like it, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to dap you up and be like, yo, dog, that's a fresh kit. Because like, so I see fashion as a competitive thing, but I also see it as like a club, you know, because like I said, I was looking around and I seeing that I was out dressing people. And if I could rank it, then there's, there's an implicit competition. And so I'm ahead of the game with my 22 fully custom handmade kits that are all interchangeable, which makes it crazy. Like ask anybody at Keystone, I show up every single day in a brand new kit and it's just as fly as the one before, you know? And so, yeah, man, it's, I, I think I hit all my points, but essentially like fashion, oh, the club aspect of it. Um, yeah, dude, it's just like everybody wants a crew. Everyone wants to belong in skiing, you know? Like, believe me, I know what it's like to want to be in a crew and you can't, you know? And so that's just a way to like connect to people. You don't have to even know each other. There's so many times when people, random riders, you know, good riders, good riders that dress well, um, show up at Keystone. I don't know them. I have no idea who that is, but I always make sure to go up, introduce myself, dap them up, give them like they my homie. If you are a fashionable dude and you're riding park, you're my homie. So yeah, Word. that's how I feel. Yeah. And you said that um, you should like, people should dress as good as they are. And I, I definitely yes. agree with that. Like, cause I could remember kids when I was growing up that same exact thing, best kid ever. They looked so good and then they sucked. They couldn't do anything in the park. They just ride through with their friends who were dressed worse, but skied better. So <laughs> how should someone like, a, how should a complete beginner dress in your opinion? Simple, mm -hmm. just dress simple. Um, uh, uh, black snow pants and then get a mildly large t-shirt or a hoodie you know so it's not super tall nor is it super short it's right in the middle and just make them both plain colors black snow pants you can wear any hoodie on top and it's going to look good you know whether it's purple whether it's orange whether it's yellow or anything it will look good see that's the thing is if you don't know how to handle co uh, complexity when it comes to fashion i guess then you need to work in simplicity so keep it simple stupid kiss you know and so that's why i say like pick two colors and preferably one being black and then the other one being your favorite color. And then that looks good. And from there, you can build, you know, too many kids, they, they have all these uh, accessories of skiing, but yet none of it matches. Their goggles and their headphones are completely different colors. Their boots are like a weird green. And, you know, they're wearing like a blue pants and orange jacket. And it's just like, it's just too much. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
And where do you think polls fit into the mix? Oh, polls are fabulous, man. Like I almost mm. been thinking about getting back on the shorty pole game. I wouldn't, I see all these other riders riding with really long poles. Yeah. That's I think huge. That's dope. But like, to me, it's all about the toothpicks. I mean, like the shit that when you put your arms down, they barely touch the snow. They're that short. Like it's actually kind of funny how many like things I've learned in my dad's like tool shop because of skiing, like how to build rails, you know, like how to cut poles and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, the short poles, I think they're a beautiful accessory. I think they're a bit of a pain in the ass to just always be lugging around and shit on the chairlifts and yada, yada. But I think they're fly as fuck. If you can get a really good looking pole and and get it to the length that you want, whether it's really long or it's like toothpick kind of shit, dude, that shit is good. That's that's skiing jewelry to me. That's an interesting way to put it. I like that perspective. Uh, and so this kind of like bleeds into your ski style itself. Like you were describing how, and I've heard other skiers that describe this, like Garrett Russell comes to mind where they say like, oh, you try to do, you know, you just go through a list like, oh, I'm going to learn this. I'm going to learn two on, then I'm going to learn unnatural two on, and then I'm going to do this. Like, and it seems like at a certain point you're like, nah, I don't need to like go through the checklist and like learn, learn this rotation yeah. and that rotation. So like, yeah, what's your, what's your view on that whole thing? Like, I remember one of the meme accounts posted a shred sauce edit of like a player just like buttering on the ground, like kind of poking <laughs> fun at you. And you're like, yeah, I only spin left. So like, what's that <laughs> for example, you know? Okay, number one, I don't only spin left anymore. In fact, I never did. It was just like 99% of the time because like I got right nolly threes. I got right nolly fives. I've done, you know, a right five, you know, right three. Like I can do that shit. I just don't do it often. Um, and I guess it's probably not that good. But anyways, anyways, so yeah, what you're referring to, I would call standard skiing. It's the standard way that if you go to like any type of skiing school, academy or coaching, you know, they teach you that way. And it's the same thing. Alrighty, let's do a front two. Let's do a blind two. Let's do a back swap. Let's do a front swap, you know, and it realistically goes on for forever. Typically people sit around like fours and sixes and three swaps around the highest. Um, but it's boring because I can, I can predict every single time pretty much what you're going to do. So essentially what I'm saying is I'm not scoring you or ranking you like this is a contest. I'm just telling you, you don't surprise me. I, I get bored of watching your shit because it's always the same. And mm. that was that was one of my gripes about um, the other guys, you know, in Ankill, like Cam, Gunther, Freddie, uh, B Story, is like they're all fabulous, but in my opinion, they're too standard. You know, they they have their fours on, they have their switch dubs, they have their, you know, left and rights and stuff like that, and that's that's cool, but that's boring. Like I always know what B Story is going to throw kind of thing you know and so I didn't want to be that way because it just got boring and like I remember this one time I mean sure granted this was back when I'm like 
I think I was trying to learn front twos or something or blind twos is right around that time. But I was in the big park and I was trying to do them on the big rails and stuff. And I was getting wrecked. I was just getting tossed, you know, but I was so determined. But then, you know, like it ended up breaking me essentially. And I was on the white chair lift, just crying my eyes out thinking like, I'm getting hurt too much. You know, I don't like this. I get hurt too much. And like, I'm not good at this. I get hurt too much. And that was probably the first crack in the foundation to where my brain started saying like, you need to ski the best way for you to ski. Um, and that's really where I started making my venture. And it, you can notice it um, in our movie Subtropic, the difference between Somnium and Subtropic in my skiing is that realization. And so you go from seeing like backflips, cork sevens, um, 270s on to the next movie was like 180 on switch 50-50, um, switch 50-50 surface switch three out, you know, uh, switch cork three. So like it, it, it changes right there. And it was successful because I felt like the first movie that we made Somnium, I thought my segment was okay. I thought it should be in the movie, but I didn't think it was the best segment. I still don't really like watching it too much. I just watch it for nostalgia at this point. Um, but then, see, dude, the next movie, the next year, I just started riding that way. I started dressing that way. And from there, like kids at Perfect North are calling me the fucking goat and just like, I'm their favorite skier and just shit like that. And, but with that being said, when I watch my segment or my season edit from that movie, I get mad hype every time. I'm like, yo, this, that shit, this shit is raw. Mm -hmm. Your skiing is very hard to describe. Like some of the tricks <laughs> that you do, especially like the flat ground stuff. It's like, yeah, dude. it really... It, it, it's it's funny because I watched you do that and I'm like, okay, he's doing something like completely new. Like, is this whack or is this kind of cool? And then I was like watching an old B and E edit and Harlow and, and B dog were like on the ground doing something similar. I'm like, bro, what? Like, is this actually a yeah. thing? Like, is this a way to ski? I think for me, when I first saw him, like, this is too, different for me to like even understand and now i'm like oh this like might be a new wave that that chris is on okay so let me break it down homie because this is a beautiful topic and it gives me so much life just talking about it because it's so deep and it's beautiful i'm not the first one to be skiing this way if because we know that in um, B&E's one edit, you know, that park edit at Mammoth that was just fucking bonkers. B-Dog and Dolo are doing exactly what I'm fucking doing. Dolo's doing it with a blunt grab. B-Dog is doing like with a nose grab, you know? And I, try, I tried how Dolo's doing it. And dude, that's, that way is really tough. I can do it, but I, I, he looks like he does it better. Um, but I could do the nose grab that B-Dog did. And so I started there and I just did it because I thought it was a cool trick. You know, I was just like, yo, dude, that's kind of saucy. That looks fun. You know, 
But then I started just, I started skiing more sitting down and doing things while sitting down. And I learned that I could do a lot of things sitting down, you know, like I'm not just stuck in just bombing a hill going straight. Like I could swerve, I could slash, I could do little shuffles. I, I could do a nollie out of it. I could do a nose butter out of it. And so, you know, that's really what sparked it, but really emphasizing that like B-Dog, Dolo, Noah Albedejo, uh, uh, Luca Maloney, I'm trying to think. Um, I'll also throw in Kieran McVeigh too. Like realistically, it's not their main style, but they've done it. They've mm -hmm. done it and it's been successful and it's looked good. And when, when those guys do it, when Noah Alabadejo with his edit with Magnet, Magnus uh, did that lip two blunt slide hand drag pretz two on that rail, like everybody lost their mind. Everybody lost their mind because they knew how fucking dope of a trick that was i mean it just is and i'll tell you what when i saw noah did that guess what i learned how to two on hand strike blunt slide pretz to also which okay i gotta brag a little bit i was talking to him uh back when i did his portrait and uh i was just like yo check this out and i slid it to him and he's mad hyped on that shit and i was just like Mm, that's dude i'm telling you in my life that's all i want to do is i want my ogs to just see like a trick i do and just go shit you know because that's that's the realest shit in skiing is like when somebody can make me go shit and that's what skiing down sitting down nobody has seen it so therefore it takes very little for me to make an entire an entire fool, you know, drop in at the park, just go shit, mm -hmm. you know? And yeah, and so it's just expanding and uh, it's an area of skiing that nobody has capitalized on. It's, you almost have to think of skiing as a black labyrinth. And wherever anybody has been in skiing, the tunnel lights up. So it's very easy to get to that part of the labyrinth because you can see your way. Somebody's been there before, right? To me, this is a black part of the labyrinth that, you know, like really people have only just gone up to the gates and maybe gone 10 feet in, but no other skier has said, I'm gonna stop exploring the rest of the labyrinth. I'm just gonna go in here and do this and when you're in there you just your perspective on skiing changes when you are sitting down on your skis like i do want to really point that out because it's so obvious you can miss it is that standing up skiing is different than sitting down skiing but they're both skiing you can do realistically a lot of the same things like i can get on an urban rail standing up or sitting down i can do a nollie three standing up or sitting down 
you know, I can do a 360 shuffle. I can slide, you know, I can do a blind swap on a rail, standing up or sitting down. And so you really look at things differently. And so it's just your entire approach is differently and you have to use what's available to you. So I know a lot of people, they're just like, oh, Chris, Chris sucks or everything. <laughs> yeah, they don't know my name. They're like, Ankylo sucks, bro. Like he doesn't even go more than a five, you know, and he doesn't hit jumps. And well, which is funny because I love jumps. Um, it is an area I can get better, but it's like your boy can throw down and I can throw footy at mother. In fact, I have thrown footy at motherfuckers and just like, yeah, suck it. Um, yeah, but so on a knuckle, and also sitting down, you understand you have two different perspectives that you can look at the knuckle and tricks are just like rhythms. They're just like beats, you know, four beats to a measure. And if the knuckle is the measure, you got four beats. So what you gonna do with it? Are you gonna rest on the first one, then blunt roll, nollie three, blunt roll? Or are you going to come in do switch do a switch three to switch cork five out you know and we're seeing that now i mean look at the knuckle huck the knuckle huck is a thing um but see that's also a thing you need to keep in mind sitting down skiing is not synonymous with knuckle skiing however they do work pretty well hand in hand so to where there are a lot of other knuckle skiers there are not any other knuckle skiers that sit down on their skis when they do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And see, this is also another thing you need to keep in mind is like, how to put it? I've shown, I've shown Phil uh, my, I call it locked Rari when you're on that one foot sitting down and then you're holding your other uh leg pretty much at safety kind of thing um i've shown him my locked rari blunt roll which is a 360 shuffle with it and i think skier dan did too i've also shown uh noah and skier skier dan did too honestly um and yeah and so the originators of those tricks fuck with the shit and that gets because like what does it matter if if the guys who actually do it and have done it for like over a decade, decades, you know, and they fuck with it, why do I care about all these new schooler kids, you know, like hating it and shit like that? I mean, like, also, I want to point out just so everybody knows, I am the best rider on new schoolers. No, no better riders gets on new schoolers i have asked all of my haters all of my haters to fucking flex on me with their own edit and if they can throw a fire edit at me i will give you respect i will listen to your hate maybe it's just advice and maybe i'm being the shitty one but until they do that i ain't listening to shit and none of them can fucking drop an edit or throw an edit at anybody like a brick and so I don't even know where I was going, but fucking new schoolers, y'all get me hyped. Man, they banned me for anything, dude. Like, it's crazy. They straight up, like, they banned me for saying Dragon Woman. 
but it was like the other kid made the joke I was just like echoing it I guess you know because it's my thread got banned for that I also got banned for posting my own content in the skier thread and just like I don't know. I was talking to Mikhail about it and he's just like, yeah, we used to get banned all the time. We, we fucking find people's IP addresses and tell them we're coming to their house to beat them up. And shit. <laughs> I'm just like, oh my God, new schoolers used to be rowdy. Yeah. Dude, and it's so funny. Like you have all this great stuff to say about skiing, like thinking about skiing in a completely different way, but people only know you or like not only because that's such a broad thing, but like a lot yeah. of people know you as just being a new schoolers troll. And yeah. it's like, so do you ever think, oh, maybe I should like reel it in a little bit or you just can't help yourself but to go at it with people online and like um, you try to piss them off. You just can't help but do it. What's going on with that? I do exactly what they want me to. That's all I can say is those people love throwing a reaction. I mean, you could give them the antidote and they would knock it off the table and say, I love this, you know, while still screaming kind of thing. Um, and so I just give them, you know, at first I was very confused by it because I thought it was just a lot of pointless hate, you know, and I, I would get bitter about that and I would lash out. Um, but now I just see it as like, it's just entertainment, like, this is just entertainment for a lot of... Hating is just entertainment. It's better than any Netflix show you will watch when you can say some shit that, like, you actually kind of feel that way because you're insecure, but yet you also still have, you know, like, goals and aspirations, you know, but those two things just, like, they're not connecting. Um, yeah, and so, like, it's, it's real. It's real for people, and... Yeah, I, I don't get offended by anything. Like, literally, I even with like Steve's and I's beef, you know, I was never beefing with Steve. Did I tell his girlfriend that she should eat only fruit? And he told me, Are you trying to kill her? <laughs> we'll leave that one up for speculation, you know? Uh, but yeah, dude, no, nah, I don't take shit personally anymore. It's just like, I'm, I'm so much in my own little world that it's just like, why would I? Why, why would, how could I? I'm just doing my own thing. Mm -hmm. Just to continue off something we were talking about before we were recording. When did you start sharing everything about your life online? Because you are, <laughs> your stories, it's like, you look at that little progress bar up top. Yeah, it is, it is the smallest segments I see on anybody's profile. You yeah. have probably a hundred to two hundred stories per day. So yeah, like where did okay. that? Where was that coming from? I, man, I see. I'm just an emotional person to begin with. I'm a very talkative, passionate, emotional person. I'm the loudest person in the room. My parents and family always tell me to like, Shh, Chris, stop yelling. And I'm like, I'm not yelling. I'm just talking to you. But like, I get so excited about what I talk about. Yeah. And so when I'm emotional and I had a very good experience of this last night, like my emotions cycle and I don't like when my emotions don't feel good. And so therefore... I have to do something in order to make it through that emotional period. 
you know, and typically that is going on rants and just kind of speaking the emotion until, okay, it's done. I'm tired of that. Now, how do I feel? Typically better, you know? And so being, you know, just kind of ostracized from my family, kicked out, uh, and just really being on my own. And then everybody knows I'm a little conspiracy theorist because I know some shit. I'm not going to get into it. Y'all can talk to me later about it. Um, yeah. And then just like, I was just trying to find my own way in life because I hated the way that I came from and the way that I came from hated me. And so I'm really just anything that sounds good and sounds reasonable. Awesome. And a lot of people say like, I'm irrational. I'm crazy. It's not reasonable, but like, see, that's the thing is we could sit down and we could talk about it. The only people that say that are screaming at me, you know, over social media. They, they've never actually talked to me. People are like, oh man, you're a lot nicer when you talk to them. I'm like, oh, no way. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. I think what bothers people the most about you is that you question the norm to a degree that makes them so uncomfortable that they need to lash out against you. And they're like, nope, you're making, you're making me feel a certain way. It's not me. It's you. You're the one that's the problem. And so, yeah, I mean, just what do you think of that theory? Because I think oh. that pretty accurately describes your situation. Let me tell you about change. Change is a very scary thing. And see, some people think change is like going from having a home to being homeless. Yes, that is the change. And that is a pretty big change. But what if I were to, let's say every single morning you have a granola bar, right? What if I were to just take that granola bar from you and you just had no idea why you weren't, you know, able to have your granola bar? You know, cause that's, that's just how you start the morning. You know, I have my granola bar, I get to school, I start English class. Then I have my second granola bar. After that, I usually eat it. And then on the way out of class, I throw the wrappers in the trash can. People love routine. People love inertia, essentially. Um, and momentum just really scares them. And I have had so much change in my life and, you know, and that very much resonates with what I'm saying with cycling through emotions. I cycle through emotions way more than the average guy. You know, you would almost maybe consider my energy that way feminine. Because like me, I, I get along really well with girls when we are talking emotions. I can talk that talk. There are some guys, however, that like my dad, he's a Capricorn. Capricorns are notorious for being very unemotional. And if you ask him to describe his emotions, he would be like, um, I'm fine. And you're like, well, what does fine mean? Um, fine, you know, you know, kind of thing. Um, and so I, I forget your original question, but oh yeah, no, no, I remember. Um, yeah, so people fear change, and I'm just the poster boy for change. You know, the kid that eats all fruit, drinks his own piss, gobbles his own jizz, you know, uh, sits down on his skis, you know, conspiracy theorist, you know, like that kid. So you're telling people 
these new ideas all day every day and like doing a lot of emotional release online do you have yeah. like friends that you talk to in person because you're i mean you're you're away from home you're away from where you grew up like are there people throughout the day that you're talking to or is online your release for human interaction that dude you're spot on right there is like in my actual physical day-to-day -day life like real talk i don't see that many friends specifically that many friends that i could talk about this stuff to you know um and that was a huge struggle for me and that's why i definitely chose kind of the internet i'm like i don't care what you guys know about me you can't hold anything over my head you know which that's what i love because um you probably heard like x and kill eats his own jizz that literally happened because uh, this younger kid, Henry from Perfect North, um, I let him come out and stay at my place to ride Keystone for like a week. And he was just a bad guest. I'll just be honest, that kid just did not listen to me, you know? And which then it's just like, why are you in my house if you're not even gonna listen to me, you know? And when I told him that, he got really upset. And somehow he was able to get a recording. I think I was telling somebody else and they like showed him like, yo, look what Chris just said. And I told him that I've tried my own like semen before, you know, to see if eating fruit really does make it taste better. And guess what? Facts, it does, it does. Eating pizza and beer is not what's going to make you taste good. I promise you that. And so the ski industry, I think his meme cork was the first one, got a hold of it. And that just blew the fuck up. But it was beautiful because I'm just like, y'all can't hurt me. Because number one, it's not bad. You guys just have aversions to it. It's not a physically painful thing, you know? Um, but then, oh man, what is I even saying? But... <laughs> <laughs> hey, put it this way, it blew, blew up on Meme Cork and everybody started talking about it. And that's when like people really started knowing who X and Killa was and little whispers on the hill. And then people started threatening to beat me up because of what I say. I'm coming to Keystone. I'll be there on the 25th. And I'm like, good. I ride every single day. Let's fight. And they never show up. <laughs> uh, so I think this would probably be a good point to like, start talking about these alternative diets and like these different ways of thinking about like your body because yeah. I, so I've been watching your stories for a while and I think you mentioned like you were really into weightlifting at one point and getting big. Yeah. And, and so was that like the entry into like actually caring about your body basically and caring about what you're eating and how that affects you? So this is a beautiful story too. When I was younger, my brother would call me fat was I fat? No, I was a normal kid. And you would probably look at me and say, no, he's slim, you know, but my older brother being the older brother that I've told you guys about, he would call me fat whenever I'd have my shirt off. Um, and so thankfully I started playing lacrosse not too long doing, you know, team workouts. I was getting bigger. My, my best friend, Kurt was into weightlifting. And so like, uh, but he was more into weightlifting, not for sports, just to get stronger. 
So I started doing it with him. But then when I went to college, I was just like, God, I'm so bored at college and I hate college. I might as well just work out. And so I got into doing that and everything and see what, and I thought I was getting healthier. I thought I was getting fitter. I thought I was getting healthier, but keep in mind, I was still having really bad eczema, acne, dandruff, you know, constipation, diarrhea and stuff like that. Um, And I was being a good, you know, weightlifter and what I was eating, I was getting my calories. I was getting all of the necessary vitamins and minerals, you know, Um, but yet I would, my, I always had a gut and I never understood and I would pinch it. And I was just like, dude, this isn't even like fat. Like this is like, there's just like a hard barrier. It's just like my guts. Like I have a bowling ball in me. And that, that was one of the first moments that I said, that's not right. You know, everything else you know, maybe dry skin is just normal, but like, that was one thing I was like, that's not right. And then later, um, once I moved out to Summit County, I being, I was bipolar and I was, you know, depressed and, and, and insomniac. It wasn't good. Um, and it was causing problems for me at my job because I would just have an attitude with my superiors, you know, and, Thankfully, <laughs> I was fucking around with fucking Nikki at that time. Nikki was this smoking hot little fucking uh, Mexican girl um, from Houston that was working up there. And dude, her boyfriend worked with us in the kitchen, but they were having problems. So Nikki was just like sneaking out and making out with me and like kissing me in the coolers and stuff like that. Dude, scandalous shit. But she had um fibroids at a very young age and she learned that if she ate a good vegan diet they went away and so she started putting me onto that vegan food I already was kind of onto it but then I started hearing Dr. Seabee then eventually I found Dr. Robert Morse started really listening to him and the man can explain how to cure everything and then he has the patient testimonials to be like he cured me of um, stage four cancer. He cured my type one diabetes. Um, he cured my uh, spi- my spinal cord that was severed, you know, and shit like that, just amazing stuff. And so I tried it and wow, dude, in just a week, I went from being absolutely insane, mentally ill to just like, yeah, I'm kind of chilling. I feel kind of good. Yo, what's up? You know, kind of thing. Yeah, and that's just kind of like the health journey. And I see it's so successful. I there's no reason to stop. And I'll just explain to everyone so they know you are a giant bag of pipes and fluids. If the fluids stop flowing, you get diseases and you die, okay? So your goal is to keep the fluids flowing, right? If you are constantly eating dehydrating food, food that it has no water itself, then when you eat it, it sucks the water out of you. And then there's just that dry, hard, dense turd. 
is stuck inside your intestine. Like, dude, I remember not being able to shit for like four or five days because all I would eat uh, back in Ohio was, you know, spaghetti, milk, pizza on Fridays, chicken, you know, casserole. Yeah. So like you just jam up your pipes that way. And then, you know, you, you, you get stiffer, you know, you, your gut holds more and more before it's able to like poop. Um, your skin suffers, it dries out too. Like everything in your body just dries out or gets clogged, you know? And so I found if I just eat fruit, I keep the pipes flowing and I'm able to get rid of my dandruff, get rid of my mental illness, get rid of my insomnia, get rid of my uh, ex eczema is going away pretty good right now. I'm pretty stoked. It's the best so far. Um, yeah, and you're just able to do so many things if you just eat right. Mm -hmm. I, people are confused about the piss. I will tell them that because I myself was confused about drinking piss. First off, no, I do not drink piss every day. I use it when I see I need to use it. I don't just do it for fun because, you know, piss is not necessarily bad, but it's not your favorite thing to be drinking, you know? Um, and so piss is literally just the excess of your blood supply filtered out from your kidneys and then expelled. So it's very clean. Yes, there is some mucus and some contaminants that the body cleans, but there's other parts of your body like the pancreas, uh, the appendix, the liver um, that, you know, clean your blood than like your kidneys necessarily. And so anyways, it's also, it has a negative charge to it. So it's alkaline. And so therefore you can actually, if you drink piss, you can clean your guts really well because the dry shit that is stuck inside you absorbs it really quickly. And once uh, that dry shit becomes wet, it can fall off of the walls of your intestines. Um, if you ever need to reset the pH of your mouth because you smoked, or because you ate something really spicy or something, piss will reset the pH to where your uh, saliva is like, hell yeah, dude. Uh, if your lips get chapped, you can put some on there. You got sunburn, put it on there. Your sunburn will go away two days earlier. I promise you, man. Um, so there's, there's a bunch of practical uses. It's just a taboo. Mm -hmm. Well, here's, let me tell you another thing because about that fucking like gist stuff that I told you that long story about people finding out is like guys also get insecure if you approach females in a different way than they do. Meaning like, um, like I said, it's like, bro, I eat my own jizz. Do not wait. If, if she's not eating the jizz, I'm eating the jizz. Don't waste that shit. That shit is powerful. That shit's got nutrients in it. Like it is life force, homie. And like, how can you not tell me that shit doesn't have some good chemistry in it? Um, and it also doesn't taste bad if you eat really well. And I was telling guys, I was just like, yo, chicks respect you if you're cool with that. And so like, see, it was just something that never bothered me, you know? And it's just like, yeah, no, this is just me, you know?
Like, she's down with me, so why wouldn't I be down with me? She's a hot chick. Like, what? But yet, guys are like, oh, no, my kryptonite. No! back with Ankilla for round two let's get into yeah. it <laughs> hell yeah brother so we're picking up where we left off we're not missing a beat so chris was saying that we didn't even get into the story of how he was locked up in a mental hospital and just before that we were talking about drinking bodily fluids and um if i remember correctly those two are like kind of tied right there's some people yeah. concerned about you because they thought you were like eating your own shit basically yeah, dude. Oh my God. That shit, that is just straight up ridiculous. So, so I blown my knee back in, uh, end of January, 2020. I, as everybody probably knows, I was like, no, I'm going to regrow it by eating fruit. That didn't happen. Um, and so I skied this past season and dude, I like dislocated my knee twice, um, on a backflip and then just on a straight air. And that was, that made me immediately just go like, okay, you need the surgery. This is, this is not working. And, um, now keep in mind relationship with my family, pretty fucking rocky. I thought it was getting a little better better though you know I was optimistic so I just remember sitting in my car you know I got him down from the hill after you know tweaking my knee like a motherfucker um and I texted my parents and I was just like yo I need the surgery you know and I just wanted to let you guys know because I was planning to get it in Summit County um but then my mom offered she was just like if you get the surgery in Cincinnati we will take care of you, you know, after the surgery and stuff. And I thought that was really forthcoming. Um, a great opportunity to just get tighter with my family. Uh, and then also, I was decently scared about it because I've never gotten surgery before. Um, so I took it, hopped on a plane, and I was in Cincinnati pretty ASAP. Um, and so, you know, in, in Cincinnati, I was going to an orthopedic consultation, MRIs, you know, just so that everybody agreed this kid does need knee surgery. And I needed ACL reconstruction and um, I, my lateral meniscus, I completely tore off the root. So I needed root meniscus surgery, which, yay, that's not a good one. Um, yeah, and so we had pretty much scheduled surgery. It was like a week out or something at this point. And um, 
a few weird things happen. Um, mostly just one thing, mostly just one weird thing happened is, so I'm just like making a grocery store run, you know, I'm just going to Kroger's, you know, and as I'm like in the parking lot of Kroger's, I get a text from my brother. Actually, hold on. Let me rewind. When I first got into town, um, my brother invited the family over for dinner at his house, which me and my brother might clash heads the most in the family, even more than my parents. So, you know, we had dinner at his house and I thought it was wonderful. I had a great time. Like if you didn't know that we were all kind of having rocky relationships, you wouldn't have known. I thought we had a wonderful time and I got to spend some good time with his new wife, you know? Um, yeah, anyways, so, I'm just chilling in the parking lot of the grocery store and I get a text from my brother, which I think is strange because my brother does not text me, FYI. He just does not want to talk to Chris if there's not a reason, right? And so uh, his text said something like, brother, keep in mind, my, my brother does not call me Chris. He calls me brother. It's this really weird thing that just started happening within like the last few years is he does not say my name. Michael has not said my name in a really long time. He just goes, brother. And like, you think he's joking because that's just weird, homie. That's just fucking weird. Like, I, yes, I, we're brothers. Cool. But you don't have to. It's almost like if you had a wife and instead of calling her like Linda, you call her wife. Like, is that's weird. That's weird, dude. So I get this text, right? And he's just like, brother, I will do whatever it will take to get you healthy again. Come with me. We will go to the hospital. We will get you the medication you need. And I, dude, I'm just literally at the grocery store getting a salad. Like, this is not what I was expecting, homie. And so I just reply and I'm just like, no, man, I, I think I'm good. You know, I, I got a salad, uh, feeling pretty good. I'm enjoying my time. I don't think I'm gonna go to the hospital to get medication I don't need. And he's just like, brother, <laughs> brother, no, I will drive you myself. You need this. You cannot trust the voices in your head, you know? And I'm just like, now keep in mind, my brother is very Catholic, right? Um, and I grew up Catholic, but I've kind of had my fallen out with the Catholic church because they're sketchy, you know? Um, and so I, I'm very much spiritual, you know? Uh, not Catholic, not religious. I'm spiritual, not religious kind of thing. Um, and dude, when he was just like, you cannot trust the voices in your head. I was just like, you know, Michael, um, I've actually been improving my relationship with God and I pray to God like every single day. And I think we have a fabulous relationship and I think he really guides me through my life in a positive way. And dude, immediately got a text back. That's not God. You bipolar. You're schizophrenic. You're crazy. You know? And I'm just like, 
I thought that was a really good answer. I thought my Catholic brother would have been like, wow, Chris, I'm really impressed with you. That's wonderful. But instead he just doubled the fuck down, homie. Um, and there's a few more texts pretty much of that basis, just kind of going back and forth, like him being like, no, you have to. And me being like, no, I'm good. I'm good, homie. Um, so whatever, the conversation ends. I go home, I eat my salad. I have a normal night, you know, whatever. It's all good. Um, the other interesting thing was um, the day before shit went down, me and my mom had just like a really interesting conversation in the kitchen. And it was just about accepting each other that we live very differently. And so we should accept each other and love each other. And just because it works for you, it might not work for me. And we respect that. And I just remember thinking like, wow, that's, that's such a good conversation to have with my mom because my mom is, she's very emotional. And so it's hard to have a real conversation because she will just break down and start screaming, you know, and eventually then run out of the room, slam her door and say, I'm taking a nap for the rest of the day, you know, kind of thing. Um, yeah, so that was the two weird things. The conversation with my mom that I thought was really nice and then the really weird text from my brother demanding that I, he takes me to the hospital. Um, now, keep in mind, keep in mind, I'm very much still practicing my lifestyle as a detoxing, like raw vegan, best to my ability. Yes, cooked food is slipping in and shit like that. But um, one of the things is my friend, um, Adrian, my friend Adrian uh, put me onto the Gerson therapy which pretty much is same thing, raw vegan detox. It's just the German version of it, but they found great success with coffee enemas, you know, to really evacuate and clean uh, the colon and the liver. Apparently coffee in your colon triggers your uh, liver to drop toxic waste into your colon to be removed. And so I was on that vibe, you know, and I'll tell you what, man, I, I bet most people have never done an enema and most people will be like, what? Putting liquids up your butt? That's gross. Ew. You know, kind of thing. But man, do enemas feel good. I mean, they don't feel great while they're in you because you got an entire colon full of like coffee or water or urine or herbal tea. You know, you, you could do a lot of things. They all do different things. Um, but, you know, you then just go to the bathroom and you squirt that shit out. And typically a lot of like old shit comes out too. Like shit that don't look normal kind of thing. So it's wonderful. But I kept on doing it while I was back at home because a enema bottle is, you can get those at Walgreens for like a 250 you know, so I got one. I had my mom actually get one and she kind of freaked out about that. That's a later story. Um, and so I was 
doing coffee enemas, which my parents were not a fan of. They were acting like I was just like getting diarrhea all over the bathroom. And I'm like, that's not how it works. I am not getting diarrhea all over the house. Like, no, just let me, I'll put it in. I'm going to lay down for 20 to 40 minutes, probably sit on my phone, dick around. And then I go to the bathroom and it's done. And I continue my day and I feel nice and light down low. It's great. Okay, so this is when shit went down, okay? And I didn't expect this shit at all. So I probably woke up at, I don't know, probably like 9 a.m. in the morning, right? And I'm just waiting for my surgery date. I just got time to kill. That's all it is. You know, I got nothing to do. You know, maybe play some Borderlands or something. Uh, sit down, do some sketching, make some art, you know, keep in practice with it. Um, go visit grandma. Shit like that, right? And so it's like 9 a.m. So I do my, uh, my morning butt brew, you know, go out, brew the coffee for a coffee enema kind of thing and you know I brew it up and I throw her in there and I'm doing my thing I'm just I'm laying on my bed just diddling on my phone and I'm just chilling I, I think like I'm shirtless you know just like have a pair of like gym shorts on like I really have not started my day but then I hear car doors slam and I'm like who the fuck is at our house? It's like a Thursday morning, you know, like what, what, who's at our house? And so I look out my bedroom window at the driveway and I see two cop cars, actually three, three in total. Um, two were in the driveway, one on the street. And I see four officers all, you know, like come out and they're walking up my driveway and my first thought was like, maybe these are my dad's like cop friends because my dad, for whatever reason, is really cool with our local police department. Um, and so I'm thinking maybe it's just his cop friends, but it just didn't seem right. It did not look like dad's cop friends were coming over just to hang out. And keep in mind, when I was in the kitchen that morning, I saw my dad and I was just like, you're off work today? And he's just like, yeah, I decided uh, to take a day off. And I'm like, but didn't you just take a day off the other day for that one thing? It's like, yeah, yeah. And then he just kind of disappeared out of the kitchen. It was weird. It was, but I was like, whatever, it's their lives. They're grown ass adults. So anyways, next thing I hear is these police officers are straight up knocking on our front door. And like immediately, dude, immediately my brain goes to, Chris, what drugs do you have on you? Do you have drugs on you? And I'm like freaking out thinking like, what if I brought an ounce of weed in my bag without thinking about it? You know, just some crazy wild ass thoughts because like I was kind of freaking out. And keep in mind, I still have a asshole full of coffee at this point. Um, well, to my surprise, um oh fyi my door was like cracked i closed my bedroom door i'm like i don't need to do that i'm doing my own private thing right now um but they come on into the house 
and I'm just like, whoa. So I at least put on like a flannel shirt. I'm like buttoning it up. And as I'm buttoning it up, I hear wham, 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 wham. Chris, we're here to take you. Make sure you don't have like, and they went through like the typical like police protocol telling me that they're the cops. They're going to take me. Do not have a weapon on me. Um, open the door slowly. Like just some crazy fucking shit. And I'm like, dude, I'm telling you, when I'm tripping out, just like going through my mind, what did I do wrong? What did I do wrong? Did I run a stop sign? Did I get a speeding ticket I didn't pay for? You know, like just everything, you know, and my butt is puckered as fuck trying to hold in like literally a liter and a half of fucking coffee, right? Um, and so I opened the door for them because like I said, they're four burly ass police officers, you know, and so I did. And then next thing I know, they hand me this fat packet of paper and I'm just like, what's going on? And I like look down the hallway over their shoulders and like my mom and dad are like standing there in the most like terrified stance I've ever seen. And I'm like really scratching my head like, man, did I like blow up a meth lab or something? You know, but so I look at that packet of paper and it essentially says, and the officer is pretty much telling me as I'm reading it, that I'm a danger to myself. Uh, apparently, I was trying to commit suicide that morning. Um and I was just like, well, what do you mean? I'm not trying to kill myself. And on the court documents right there, it said that I was trying to kill myself through starvation by only eating fruit and by killing myself with enemas. Like legit, this is legit legal documentation and it's saying this shit. And I'm like scratching my head because I'm just like, how is that possible? How can you eat food and starve to death? And then how can putting coffee up your butt kill you, you know? And so they're just like, you're going to have to come with us. And I'm like, do I have to? And they're just like, yes, you do. Like very, very stern. Like if you do not comply, these four police officers are going to wreck you and you're coming with us anyways. You know, because they weren't playing, homie. I I got, like, thrown against the wall and, like, fucking pat down. They're, like, got any knives under your testicles? Which I'm like, motherfucker, like, what? Why would I have a switchblade in between my butt cheeks? Like, come on. Um, and so before they took me, I was just like, I have to be real with you guys. I am currently doing a coffee enema, like the papers say that I do. Um can I please use the bathroom so I don't have coffee in my colon? And they're just like, sure, but you're not allowed to close the door. And so literally I got to have coffee diarrhea in front of four grown men standing above me. That was fun, you know, um, door open and them just standing at the door. They weren't physically in the bathroom because that bathroom is actually really kind of small. Um, but yeah, no, like they're seeing my dick, they're seeing my they're seeing the diarrhea, like they're seeing it all, homie. 
you know, and I just kind of had to be cool with it. Well, I'm also reading the court documents, which was kind of nice, uh, and just going through all of the packets of paper. And this is what really fucked me up. As I'm going through the packets of paper, it literally says the two people that made the call to 911 was my own mother and my brother literally said their names had their addresses driver's license number like dude straight up and i'm like scratching my head i'm just like i thought i had a really good conversation with my mom and then michael doesn't even live here i haven't seen him since i went to his house for dinner and why would he invite me to dinner if he was trying to do something this insidious but merry christmas welcome to michael meltner right um, so anyways, I emptied my fucking colon, had nice diarrhea everywhere, yada, yada. Uh, and yeah, they allowed me to somewhat dress myself and then, yeah, threw me in the handcuffs and then threw me in the car. And, uh, they took me to Christ hospitals, uh, mental hospital, essentially down in Clifton. Um, now, but see, that's the thing is like, I just had to like, looking out the window of the car, I'm like, okay, this is Clifton. Okay, this is a hospital. This looks like Christ Hospital. Like they weren't, they wouldn't tell me shit. Like I really had no idea what was going to happen. Nobody was telling me shit. I, they were just telling me I was arrested and I had to see a doctor. And which I thought was kind of aggressive with the handcuffs and all that shit and the kidnapping. Um, so anyways, they throw me in the ER, right? And like all the nurses are coming in and taking my vitals and shit. There's a police officer standing over me, watching me the entire time, you know? And the nurses are like, what are you here for? And I'm like, I was kidnapped against my will by these guys uh, because my brother, and I was very frank with everybody. I was also pretty pissed, FYI. Um, that my brother had lied to the cops and falsely accused me of trying to commit suicide with fruit, you know? And like all the nurses are like, what? Because <laughs> they're not really involved. They're just nurses taking vital signs and kind of shit. And like everybody kept on asking me like, so have any suicidal thoughts today? And like, I, I, I'm telling every single one of them no. But with how my day is going so far, I'm like, I don't know. It seems like maybe it's a better option than dealing with you dipshits, you know? And yeah, so they said I had to wait for the doctor, you know, to check me out. Dude, I ended up waiting for like, I swear to God, it was like three hours in that ER. And they had me in one room, FYI, they took all my clothes, they took all my wallet, keys, phone, shit like that. So I was just naked in some scrubs, you know? And then they put me in this smaller room with an officer outside. And dude, it was bullshit. That room was, it was just a bare blank room with like, uh, a, I, I don't know, a bed or a table, I guess. I, I don't know, a gurney, maybe it's called. And 
they had the AC cranking on that motherfucker. That room had to have been like straight up like 55 degrees. And I'm not wearing shit. I am pretty much straight up naked minus this very thin little curtain that they put on me kind of thing. And dude, my fucking lips were purple. My nail beds were fucking purple too. Like I was shivering. It was suffering, dude. Like that was some that was some bullshit homie like i'm like really y'all do this shit but apparently they do this shit because i'll tell you what is like you really cannot throw you know throw a fit or put up much of a fight if you're if you're fighting off hypothermia kind of thing um anyway so they eventually took me upstairs and this is when I started getting an idea of what's really happening here, homie. And it it was crazy because they kept on saying, you know, like, we have to take you to see the doctor, the doctor. And I'm like, okay, when is he coming? Well, we have to go upstairs now. And I'm like, okay, I guess we're going to his office upstairs. So take an elevator up and we're, I'm met by these two burly ass fucking nurses right and i'm like interesting and the police officer just kind of like leaves at that point which i'm just like these aren't normal nurses (laughs) they didn't look and they didn't act like normal nurses and you know they're leading me down this hallway and they're just like take a left into this room and so i take a left and the first thing i see in that room is a prison toilet like you know, those stainless steel ones and the toilet is part of the sink too. And I'm just like, holy fuck, I'm here. They just locked my ass up, you know? And I turn around and those two nurses are standing in the door, you know, kind of thing. They're like, we just need to make sure you don't have anything sharp or dangerous on you. So even though I was already pat down and cleared for that, they still apparently think I keep razor blades in my asshole. And so once again, I got strip searched, had to have a bunch of adults that I did not know get to fondle my fucking nutsack and touch my butthole, you know? Um, and then they put me in my little mental hospital scrubs. I will say this, I like those pajamas. They were really nice pajamas. Um, that is the only thing I will give them. <laughs> but uh yeah and then next thing i know they put me in this little mental ward uh with these two other girls apparently i i found this out later that i was actually in the like high risk mental ward part so like everybody in here with me these other two girls were all considered like dangerous and suicidal those other girls i can kind of understand that me it's like come on homie come on Um, yeah. And so there was absolutely nothing to do in there. Like I, when I say there was absolutely nothing to do in there, I mean that like, uh, pretty much the only thing they gave us was printer paper and broken crayons, you know, nasty, dirty, old broken crayons. Um, because if they gave us anything else, we would all apparently try to kill ourselves with it. Um, yeah. And they tried to feed me, get this shit. When I got in there for my first meal, 
like, and keep in mind in my court documents, it literally details that I just eat fruit. I eat fruit and I eat salads, you know, kind of thing. And these motherfuckers are trying to feed me fucking pizza and French fries. And I'm just like, no, I'm not going to eat that. Like, and I, I was totally prepared to fast because I can do that. Like if, if I really want to stop eating, I don't give a fuck. I'll do it. I'll go four and a half days. I'll fucking do it. Doesn't bother me, homie. Um, yeah. And so after having to explain to the fucking nurses that I just don't do that shit and that's junk food, I wanted to yell at them because that shit causes mental illness. Like you can't be a healthy person in your head if you're eating junk food that's fucking up your guts that makes the serotonin you fucking use. Um, yeah, and so anyways, had to deal with that. Um, luckily there was a prison phone, so we were able to call out. And so I called my best friend Grace, homie, because I, she's, she's a social worker and I'm just like, she knows this shit. So luckily I call her. There's a funny story with that, but I can't tell you because she asked me not to, um, but, 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 but she gave me the rundown of essentially what I was going through, and to get out, I, I had to beat a court case against my family, right, and um, the paper said I was going to be there for 72 hours, which FYI, three hours is too much already, so the story gets kind of lame because essentially I just had to wait that long with the other crazies and all I did, and this is the shit that pisses me off. All I did was every day for 12 hours a day was sit at that table with the printer paper and the crayons. And I would just draw all day. And I was actually kind of impressed with the things that I could draw with just shitty ass crayons. Um, and then one of the crazy girls, uh, she would just be like, oh, man, y'all made that? That's like, mm, damn, that's so, can I have that? And I'm just like, take it, please take it. And she would take it and <laughs> run back to her room. And dude, she literally, by the end of my stay there, she must have had like 10, 10 of those, you know, kind of thing. Um, and I will say this, even though the other two girls were like really fucking manic, they were nice. It's just, I wouldn't want to upset them kind of thing. That's, you know, not that I couldn't defend my own, but I'm not trying to cause problems in the mental ward, <laughs> you know? So anyways, um, oh yeah. And because I was just coloring every day, the nurses have to write a report on you like every hour kind of thing. Literally, they described me coloring with, crayons as paranoid and isolate isolative which i'm just like what the fuck are you talking about i'm trying to be a sane motherfucker in in this you know like what so like the nurses were really jaded if you ask me all the nurses just like this person's insane fuck them you know, and they tried to dope me up on so much fucking drugs, dude. And I, I had to vehemently, not vehemently, I wasn't violent, but I had to very sternly tell them, you're not giving me any pharmaceuticals. I don't take that shit. I eat fruit. I color. I shut the fuck up. 
you know, and which then they're just like, oh, he's aggressive, you know, and I'm like, fuck off. Do y'all not understand how people get in here? Like, it was bullshit. Anyways, I had to meet with a court psychiatrist, uh, which was my saving grace, believe it or not, um, because she was the one to determine, like, is Chris crazy or is he not? And I was actually able to have a really nice conversation with her. I told her about the Gerson therapy, Dr. CB, Dr. Morris, uh, raw veganism, uh, to look up enemas, urine therapy, you know, and I just explained it all to her in as, as well as I could. And thankfully, she really actually listened, which that was the first fucking person, first fucking person in two days to actually just listen to what I had to say you know um so fast forward court date essentially so in the morning same kind of deal you know handcuffs they take me out um and the courthouse was like 20 minutes away so they had to drive me and then I had to be locked in this like group cell with a crazy fucking dude like when I say a crazy fucking dude I mean, like, homie was shackled at the wrists and at the ankles, um, and those were all chained to a belt that he was wearing, and homie was just screaming, like, the entire time I'm in there, and I'm just like, oh, dude, I had to wait for, I don't know how long it was, but it was a long fucking time to wait for my court appearance, so they lead me in there, and I sit down, and I'm just kind of checking out this courtroom to just see what's up. You know, it's a pretty typical courtroom. But I look behind me. I see my whole fucking family there. And they even have, a, like, a family therapist there with them or something like that. Um, but here's the thing. My sister lives in California. She flew from California for this shit. And I'm just like, really, Rachel? isn't this why you ran away to California is because you couldn't take the conflicts and all this bullshit, but apparently here she is, you know, kind of thing. And they're all dressed, you know, as nice as it fucking comes. And here I am looking bummy as fuck in, you know, the clothes that I was kidnapped in, you know? And uh, yeah. And so essentially how the court case worked, I thankfully had a public defender so I had my own attorney, um, and but there was a prosecuting attorney too. So, you know, is what it is. And so they start the court case. And so essentially what it is, is they called my brother and my mom up to the stand to testify. And the lawyer just asked them questions, you know, about it and shit like that. And oh my God. My brother was lying his fucking face off, homie. It was crazy. So apparently, I didn't know this, but my brother had been secretly stalking my Instagram, and anything that he deemed crazy, he would screenshot and save on his iPad. And so he brought his iPad to the stand with, you know, just hundreds of stories of like, this is crazy. That's crazy. That's crazy. Um, yeah. And so my brother painted me to be an absolute fucking lunatic. 
uh, which was very sad. And he lied about a lot of things. You know, he even, he even, dude, this was the two things that fucking blew my fucking mind. One of them is he's just like, my brother used to be, you know, he's kind of acting emotional and shit like that. I know my brother. He don't get emotional like that in that way, you know? Um, and so he's just like, yes, I just want my brother back. Ever since he started eating fruit, he's just, he's become emaciated. He's a skeleton of his former self. He's just, he looks awful. Look at him, you know, like kind of shit. And I'm like sitting here because like, I'm pissed as fuck because my diet has improved. Like, like my skin, my hair, my eyes, my teeth, like my figure, everything. So I'm just like, motherfucker, like shut the fuck up. So he says all that shit, right? Just saying that the fruit diet is just killing me and I'm poisoning myself with these oranges, you know? And dude, this is so fucking funny. My my attorney got to like ask a question there and he was just like, um, Michael, how much do you weigh? And my brother's like 170. And he's like, uh, and approximately how tall are you? And my brother's like six foot. And he's like, well, so Chris, while he was at Christ Hospital, was given a physical by the nurses. And it looks like he's 170 pounds and 6'1". Do you consider yourself emaciated, Michael? <laughs> oh, dude. Oh, my God. You should have fucking seen that shit, dude. I was getting, like, I, you know, it's a, it's a courtroom. So, like, you have to be respectful and you can't just be screaming. But, like, dude, you could see it in my face. I was just like, oh, eat shit and die, Michael. What's up? what's up dude um and then also here's another thing so i apparently on my story had joked about urine therapy and i think some kids on new schoolers like what you're gonna start shit therapy next and so i was laughing about that on my ig story and i'm like guys i'm officially starting shit therapy i'm so excited i'm gonna be brushing my teeth with shit gargling with diarrhea you know and i'm just fucking goofing homie you know like i had no idea this was gonna be my future but my brother's straight up and it was in the court documents that it said chris Noutner eats his own shit and like my brother straight up looked at the judge like in the eyes and said, and I believe he brushes his teeth with shit. And I'm just like, I'm like, you just said shit in a courtroom, homie. You couldn't have said fecal matter. Like what? Like, bro, you know, you're wild in right now. Like get the fuck out of here, you know? And well, once again, the court psychiatrist and then the physical is just like, it appears that Chris, there is no evidence that Chris actually brushes his teeth with shit, nor does he eat shit, you know? And I'm just like, dude, I'm hearing court psychologists talk this way. And like, I'm just like, this is weird. This is weird. This is not language that a typical courtroom would hear, you know? Um, but then get this. This is the weirdest fucking part out of all of it is so, you know, my brother before was trying to be 
emotional. So you would empathize with him. But then, you know, the attorney was like, um, I have no more questions. Uh, do you have any final statements? And my brother's like, yes, I do. He says, yes, I do extremely plainly and normally. But then he puts his head down for like, maybe like eight seconds or something. And then he brings his head up and he's got a beautiful little crystal tear coming down his left eye. And he's just like, well, I recently got married to my beloved wife, Sarah. Sarah Goldberg, my wife, is Jewish. And my brother, brother, on Instagram is a anti-Semite and he believes that all Jewish people did 9-11 and I fear for my wife's life. Keep in mind, this man invited me over for dinner at his house and I had a spectacular time with Sarah just talking to her because, you know, I, I don't really know her that much and I, I thought it was funny. Like, she's a Libra. She's super talkative. It's enjoyable. But on the stand, Michael was painting me as this crazy fucking flat earth conspiracy theorist. 9-11 was an inside Israeli Mossad. Well, actually, he just said Jewish people. I, I, I said Israeli Mossad because that's what it is. Um, you know, reptile people, mole men. I believe in reptile men. Mole men, that's bullshit. Re reptilians archons are a real fucking thing homie there's like there's too much evidence for it to be completely dismissed I'll, I'll at least say like there's a good possibility there's a good possibility and so dude this believe it or not out of everything this conspiracy shit that he's saying was like the most damning like you should have seen the judge's face she was this fat black lady and like man you you must have you could have sworn that like my brother was like threatening her family by the faces she was making and i'm like dude come on free first amendment like it, okay so what if i do believe in mole men aren't i allowed to believe in mole men you know like fuck it um anyway so he finished with that Next up comes my mom, right? And it was just so funny just because like my mom is already a nervous bag of anxiety and now you put her on the stand in a court case against her own son kind of thing. And so she is just, she's just trembling up there like a little weak woman. And, uh, you know, the attorney ran through almost all the same questions. Uh, and, you know, my mom just gave her own personal responses. And it was funny because, like, you know, one of the big problems my mom had is, like, she's just like, he does, he puts coffee up his butt every day. I don't understand why. Like, he just has diarrhea every day. And he's getting my bathroom so dirty, you know? And I'm just like scratching my head like, so this is over a bathroom being dirty? Like, what the fuck? You know? And But here's something funny. So um, my feet at the time were just covered in all this dead skin. My feet were just real dry. And so I asked my mom, I was like, 
hey, do we have a foot bath? And she's like, yeah, we do. And so um, I, you know, I filled it with urine, you know, because you can do urine therapy on your skin. And um, it really adds a lot of hydration to your skin. In fact, all of that dry skin that had been on my nasty ski feet literally just fell off. It just like rubbed off. It was it was wonderful. And I was so happy. My mom made me do it in the basement because she was just like, you're not soaking your feet in piss up here, you know, kind of thing. And um, yeah, afterwards I showed my mom my feet. I'm like, don't they look better? And she's just like, they do look pretty good. They do look pretty good. And she admitted that on the stand, which I'm just like, yes, yes, motherfucker. Because like my brother would just straight up lie about anything in order to just maintain that like I'm awful. But my mom did give me that. And I was happy about that. And I'll even uh, tell you this too, because like when my hair gets very frizzy, I'll take a cup of urine in the shower, pour it over. And you know, I'm taking a shower in the shower. Um, and so you put urine in, you can leave it in or you can rinse it out kind of thing. But with my hair, when I do that, I get the most shiny, beautiful curls out there. I mean, believe me, girls fuck with that shit. In fact, the first time I did it, I went to one of my female coworkers at work and I was just like, hey, does my hair look all right? You know, does it smell good? And she has no idea why I'm asking her. And she's just like, no, it looks really good and smells good. And I was just like, oh, thanks. I'm trying a new conditioner, you know, you know? And so like, um, I did it at home and my mom was just like, your curls are looking really good today. And I'm like, thanks. You know why? And she's like, why? I'm like, cause I peed on it, <laughs> you know? And oh, she didn't like that. She did not like that at all. I thought that shit was hilarious because I'm like, it works this shit works, you know, like I'm not pulling y'all's leg. It works. Um, but yeah, my mom, she was not as pivotal as my brother up on the stand. And she actually gave me a few compliments, which I was like, thank God. Um, then they made their way to the court psychiatrist and the court psychiatrist is just like, everything he's talked about is backed up. Like I was able to research Gerson therapy, I was able to find out about urine therapy and trace it back to like Eastern medicine, like he said, you know, and that was really wonderful. The court psychologist saved my fucking asshole. And keep in mind this entire time, homie, I'm not allowed to say a single thing. I never got on the stand. I, it was literally just my entire family against me. And I was just the punching bag, you know? Um, and so now it's the end of the case and the judge is like fuck this judge fuck this judge the judge is like well as a judge i'm supposed to be unbiased in all of my discernments i'm supposed to take myself outside of myself so that i can fairly rule and protect justice in america this fucking stupid ass fucking speech she gave but then she said so it makes me extremely sad. I say this with a very heavy heart. The case is dismissed. And like, I, you know, her tone was that she had something that she didn't want to do. 
And, but she said the case is dismissed. And I lean over to my lawyer. I'm like, she dismissed the case, right? I'm free. I'm free. And he's like, yeah, you're free. I'm like, and I even checked with him a second time. I'm like, you, you sure? Cause she didn't seem happy about that. And he's like, no, no, you're all good. You know? And so I was stoked as fuck. I beat this shit. Literally my family tried to throw, you know, the whole fucking kitchen get me. They, they surprise attacked me, got me kidnapped, got me locked up, you know, and like, dude, in a mental hospital, you experience a certain amount of trauma because like, it's just the environment that that shit happens in. Believe me, I did not sleep while I was there. The beds weren't comfortable and I had way too much anxiety about that shit, which then they're just like, FYI, they check on you like every 30 minutes throughout the night. And they're just like, you, they open your door and they're just like, hey, any thoughts about killing yourself? And you're just like, shut the fuck. You know, obviously you're like, no, I am fine. I am living my best life. But like in my head, I'm like, shut the fuck up. I will murder you. <laughs> kind of shit. You know? And so once, you know, I was stoked as fuck hearing that the case was dismissed, right? And so I turn around to look at what my family's response is because like even though they were kind of trying their hardest to condemn me to at least another two to three weeks in a fucking mental ward um i thought they would be happy that a court ruled that i was not a danger to society i wasn't a danger to my health and the court appointed psychologist thought that i was a healthy young man you know but i turn around every single member of my family is bawling their fucking eyes out like my my dad porn he is he's just like <laughs> you know keeping it quiet my mom is just <laughs> my older brother is just like ah! like dude straight up i'm not even kidding he literally pointed his head at the ceiling and he's just like ah! <laughs> You know, dude, like, it's, it's supposed to not be funny, but, like, I just rubbed the shit in their face, and so, like, I loved it, and then it made me sad. I saw my sister, and she was just, you know, kind of sobbing. I think it was just a, emotionally a lot for her, because my sister is pretty detached from the whole thing. Like, obviously, she's part of the family. She knows what's going on, but she doesn't want to get in it, so, Yeah. Anyways, moral of the story, um, yeah, my cousin picked me up in her Mercedes, uh, got to live at her house for a few days, tried to, oh, get this. So my uh, orthopedic that was going to do my surgery in like three days at this point, um, he canceled surgery because apparently he refuses to operate on anybody that has a stay in a mental hospital you know and we we tried to give him the document saying the case was dismissed i'm deemed all good i'm living with my cousin she'll be taking care of me she'll be driving me there and there but he wouldn't and so um at a point i just decided fuck it i need to get the fuck out of ohio ohio is trash the people here are fucking dangerous um and fat really fat um and so, yeah, I just cop 
a ticket as soon as I could. I came out here and I got the fucking surgery done just like that by Dr. Godin, who apparently from what I hear is like a top dog for the shit. So I got a better surgery and everything up here. Now, the one interesting thing, so I eventually get a bill for um, my stay in the mental hospital, which is crazy. So like it was $8,000. Luckily, insurance knocked it down to $2,000. But I'm still stuck for $2,000. And I did not agree to be kidnapped. You know, that's fucked up. And um, this is where this is where it has kind of a nice ending to it. I screenshotted the email. I sent it to my dad and I said, and to my brother. And I said, who's going to pay for this? Who? You know, and I very much was putting my foot down. And I'm just like, you guys fucked me. Like, do you really want me to sue you over $2,000? Because here's the thing. My uncle who was supporting me on my side for this, he's a lawyer. And so like, <laughs> he was straight up telling my dad, AKA his younger brother, it's like, Ed, don't fuck with your son, Chris. I will murder you in court, you know? Um, so there was a decent amount of like actual legal threat, but my parents actually ended up covering the $2,000, which I eventually, you know, got ACL surgery which, you know, you have a certain uh, deductible and then out of pocket. So with just how all the financing and bills worked, it was almost like I got $2,000 off of my knee surgery because my parents paid for that because it had rung up on my insurance. And then I got knee uh, surgery and I passed my out of pocket. And so it actually turned out all good. And now my family, I, I've actually talked to my brother today and you know, we just try to keep it simple. Just, you know, like, yo, I saw this. You think this is funny? Uh, you like this meme, you know, kind of thing. Um, I still don't really talk to him, but there seems to be just a lot more respect because keep in mind, the entire extended family know what Kim, Ed, and Michael did to me kind of thing. And they're not a fucking fan of that shit. I'm the, see, I'm the type of cousin that everybody in the family wants to keep up with. You know, they, they call me just to see if I'm doing well and ask about skiing and stuff like that. So that's that story, man. Hopefully that was an emotional ride. <laughs> that story is awesome, man. I love that. <laughs> dude. Yeah, dude, I mean, it's always nice when you can just be like, oh, let me tell you about the time I was in the mental ward. Yeah. Oh my God. And I remember when you posted that on your, on your Instagram story, I'm like, this is better than television. Like this is, yeah. this is, this is reality television right here. Like you're posting on your story. You're like, I'm going to be gone for the next 72 hours. Peace. And then you get out. You're like, I beat the case. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. dude. Oh my God. Yeah. Like, and it was crazy because when I got my phone back, I don't think I was able to, oh, I had to actually go back to the hospital to get my phone. For whatever reason, those dumb fucks didn't think I was going to get my case dismissed. And so they didn't bring my belongings back. So my wallet, keys, and like shit was all there. But dude, when I opened my Instagram, I had like 30 
DMs of just all the homies, all the Instagram friends, you know, skiers I didn't even know, just being like, yo, dog, we're here for you. That's fucked up. Are you all right? Do you need anything? And that was, it was beautiful. It really was. Wow. That's awesome that a lot of people supported you because that is, dude, that, that's an experience that like would mess a lot of people up for life. That's crazy. Yeah, dude. It, it, took, it took a lot of strength, like uh, a lot of mental and emotional strength. Like to me, I was just thinking, do you know who Osho is? I don't believe so. Okay, Osho's like super dope, like spiritual consciousness, Zen, Buddhist, uh, like guru kind of guy. Uh, there's a Netflix show called like Wild Country about him. Um, but anyways, homie has some really good points about creating peace in your life, even when your life is in turmoil. And I used every little last bit. Thankfully, before before I was in the mental ward, I was just on a spree of just listening to hours and hours of his lectures as I would draw. And it just gave me so much confidence as a person that I could go through whatever type of shit I'm going through and I'll come out better. And then this shit pops off. It was almost like the universe saying like, let's see if uh, you can use what you learned. And man, I did a lot of breathing exercises and shit and a lot of meditation while I was fucking locked up. Oh my God, dude. That is crazy. Like people describe you as crazy. That doing that to you is crazy. Yeah, dude. And that's, that's one perspective. A lot of people don't understand is my perspective is the world is crazy you know and i i myself am crazy to a degree but it's just like we've been thrown into this life and into this society to where things are just certain ways even if they don't work you know and everybody's just kind of playing this role even if the role hurts their soul and physically damages their health and like it it gets trippy. And so like, I very much for a while, you know, like 2019, 2020, I was just like, I feel like I'm the only actually fucking sane person in this world, just because like, I see the bullshit. That's one thing you got to understand about me is like, I'm very truthful. And I see truth. I see the truth about some shit. Like if you pull up with your homie and your homie is sketchy, I don't even have to say a word to him to know that he's a sketchy motherfucker, you know? And, (laughs) and on like a more funnier note, if you want to get pussy, being truthful does not get you pussy. I'll tell you what, it gets you a lot of like friends that are girls, but it does not get you pussy. People who lie get mad pussy. But now I'm trying to find the in-between to where like, you curate your truth so you're more successful (laughs) um so i gotta ask you because that story was so based around you eating fruit so like when did the dieting when did the fruit really become your main food 
February 20th, 2019 um, is when I first started. I tried it for a week and I literally saw, because I was bipolar, I was factually bipolar. You know, a therapist had told me, homie, you express all the symptoms of being bipolar. Then I took abnormal psychology and I'm like, yeah, I'm there. I, I know that. Um, but anyways, my biggest issue was the bipolar swings from depressive to manic. I, you can already tell I'm very expressive and I've got a lot of energy. Um, so just imagine that turned up even higher to where it actually becomes kind of manic. Like, when I get angry about something, I can't stop getting angry about it until I fall horribly depressed. And then it's a deep depression. And I just bounce in between those two. I never felt normal, you know, and it was causing problems at work. Um, but yeah, I tried the uh, a 50 to 75% fruit diet for a week and I didn't have any episodes at work so I considered it a pretty damn huge good success and so I said if I did it for a week let's do it for two weeks two weeks was even better and it just went like that it never stopped being good so I never turned back mm -hmm. and what was the last time you sat down and had like chicken wings and a beer <laughs> I knew you were gonna ask that um I don't know probably the beginning of 2019 like I, well, no, no, that's not true. Cause I was vegan after college. Uh, no, I was actually a pretty shitty vegan. Yeah. Yeah. No, so like it, it was, I was trying to be vegan, but then I just made that hop into like actual veganism. Mm -hmm. And do and you don't, do you ever miss those foods? Like any aspect of them, like the taste like, obviously, you don't miss the feeling and, like, the mental aspect of it, but you miss, the like, the taste of it. Oh, God, dude. Fucking pizza. Fuck me up, homie. Like, that, like I'll tell you this, too. Um, at, I, I just kind of started drinking again. Not saying, like, I'm drinking, but, like, if I'm at a social event, you know, for example, uh, my homie started a band and their band was playing at a bar. So I had a glass of wine you know uh because that's how you hang out at a bar if you're not drinking at a bar you're gonna have a bad time um and then like at gepper's house you know um i was just fucking drinking coors light with fucking steve and shit like that um and fyi i'm a very cheap date like whew, you do not need a lot of booze in me for me to get fucked up at this point um yeah and so i Alcohol is like one of those things that I gave up for like pretty much like two years straight up, just dropped it. Um, and same with the other types of non-vegan junk food is I just dropped it kind of thing. And uh, I, being drunk is really fucking fun, but I know the downfalls to it. But then also like pizza, fucking mac and cheese, uh, fucking like bacon, like, yeah. Dude, all that shit is just really addictive drugs. So, of course, I love that shit. Because anybody you feed bacon and pizza and cereal to, 
they get addicted to it. That's why all of America's fat as fuck is it's not, it is an issue with their diet, but it, you should to more accurately address it. It's a drug addiction. And when you take those foods away, and I've experienced this myself, you go into withdrawal. You will get emotional. You will get itchy, scratchy. You get a little anxiety. You get a little jumpy and shit like that. Um, and if you make it through it, it goes away, you know. But it's it's a drug. Drug. Do you plan on having kids one day? Hell yeah, brother. Dude, and- I would tell you what, man. I'm going to. I, I, I'm going to just put this out in the universe so everybody fucking knows. It's like, my wife is going to be so goddamn smoking hot. She going to be the baddest fucking bitch. A whole fucking woman with good-ass fucking integrity. I think I already know who she is, but she don't want to date me right now. Well, anyways, anyways, anyways. Yeah, dude, hell yeah, I want to have kids. I want to teach them what's up because in a way, I kind of want to make up for what I didn't know growing up. And you're going to do like, what sort of diet would you have in mind for like an infant or like a kid? Would you go with something that's recommended by the hospital or would you kind of pave your own way? Oh no, dude, you, okay. Number one, heavy metals are found in like all of those baby foods, you know, which that's dude, powdered aluminum in baby food. That's not, you know, the machine wearing down and it accidentally falling in there, you know, that's heinous, diabolical shit because sick babies make a lot of money, a lot of money for the pharmaceutical and medical industries. Um, So this is something I just know factually, man, is you can very much just feed a child purely fruit. In fact, you can do it pretty quickly. Even like um, if the mother has toxic breast milk, acidic breast milk, because she herself has not properly detoxed and is still consuming, uh, you know, bad chemistry. Because I mean, think about it, homie. Mothers who are nursing can't drink alcohol because the alcohol shows up in their milk. So it's the same process. If you eat junk food, the chemistry of that junk food shows up in the milk. Like little babies look like fucking inflatable balloons. They have so much inflammation. And I want to tell you, that's not normal. Even though every single American baby nowadays looks like a little fucking Michelin man, that's not actually normal. You should, you should find on the internet what a raw vegan mother gives birth to. Because that baby is gorgeous. Fucking, like, you know how, put it this way, you've never seen an ugly dog kind of thing. All dogs are cute, but you sure as hell have seen an ugly baby. Put it this way, you get cute babies when they're healthy and they're not full of inflammation and bullshit like that. So me, my children, I mean, until they have their own conscious mind and can make good decisions, the only thing in our house is going to be pretty much produce, you know, maybe with like a few little vegan treats here and there, you know, but like, yeah, dude, it's my child. Of course, I'm going to feed them the best food out there. I want, I want my child to be even prettier than I am, motherfucker. And I'll tell you what, 
I'm already pretty. <laughs> so Thanks. when, what was like the experience if you had one where like you really started, you got a glimpse behind the curtain and you're like, there's more, there's more to life than what's being told to me. And like, there's, I'm being misled a lot. Like what was, do you remember that first moment for you? Yeah. Yeah. I was pretty much considering to kill myself. Uh, when I was starting to have suicidal thoughts back in college, uh, you know, around like junior, senior year kind of thing, um, you really just start to realize how little you actually know. And like, you know, if death is so imminent, then I want to know as much as I can about death because like it, see, I never wanted to kill myself. It just felt that life would be better with me gone you know that's just how the world seemed to be looking at me it's just like chris you're causing problems you don't fit in i mean all you have to do there's a kitchen knife you know that motherfucker is sharp you cut your thing really deep last week you know um and so when i started understanding that nobody around me knew shit about death that started making me think these motherfuckers don't know shit about life, you know, because you can't have death without life. It's a duality. They're, they're perfect together, you know? And that was my first, you know, like now keep in mind, keep in mind. When I was in first grade, I remember sitting in the pew during school mass and just wondering to myself so deeply what if I was the only person here and all the other kids are actually just robots or they're my imagination? They say exactly what they should say, but it's not because they have a light behind their eyes. You know, they're, it's their program. Like, and so that was maybe realistically my first glimpse at like life is not as it seems. Um, and then just like, I remember starting in sixth grade I just, I started just telling myself because of how school and other kids behaved with school, because I've always had issues with authority because I knew I was a good kid and I had good, fine thoughts. Like, I, I don't do bad shit, homie. I just really don't. Um, but yet I would see how kids would behave amongst each other in school and then I would see how the school would behave as an authority figure and I just knew everything was bullshit grades trying to define me by my grades like really like dude I I'm such a damn good artist like I can literally like pick up any reptile that could be like dude that's if I didn't touch on this like I'm so good with fucking reptiles and shit i can pick up any fucking reptile and be fine to where like the tree boa that i picked up at jack's aquarium is literally striking the glass at other people but he's cool with me he's cool with me he's like chilling on my head and i just got this fucking viper just going wham 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 you know <laughs> just like at everyone else so anyways i essentially knew that like i'm a valuable person I'm being devalued. Things don't make sense. What authority tells me seems to be pretty much backwards. Um, and yeah, eventually the suicide was just the feather that broke the camel's back. And 
the biggest thing, the biggest thing I ever did was say, for now on, I'm going to be completely truthful to the point that if I make people upset, still not going to be quiet and I'm not going to change what I said. I'm going to live my truth. And that was one of the things that got me out of killing myself was that was a glimmer of light, you know, that said like, hey, at least, at least do your best, man. And if you die on the way, you die on the way. Mm -hmm. So what do you think now when um, people that get upset with you tell you to kill yourself? What do you think of that? <laughs> oh, I laugh at that shit. Dude, I find depression and suicide so fucking funny now because like I understand every single person doesn't actually want to kill themselves because who wants to kill themselves? Killing yourself is really unpleasant and painful. And just imagine that type of vibration going into I'll call the astral plane or just to the other side, the upside down, because you got to keep in mind, man, like vibrations follow you. You can hear those things resonate. And when you pull that trigger to blow your brains out, guess what? That gunshot vibration follows you to the other side. And like, uh, I, I love reading about people who have almost died or like, you know, technically did die, but then they come back. And they all agree on this shit, man, you know, pretty uniformly. So, yeah. <laughs> so, wait, so what, what is it that they agree on that? Whatever, whatever the last moment was, is what followed them in. Is that what, is that what their overarching yeah, theme is? It, it sets a tone. It sets a tone for their first experience in limbo and the astral plane and the upside down, just in the other side of life in death it sets a tone. And, you know, I've been doing plenty of my own research on that shit because it is fascinating to me. Um, and it very much seems that when it comes to your placement in these energetic realms and planes, you set the tone for yourself. If you, like God does not send you to hell, you send yourself to hell. It's almost like, you're now in the energetic world of God to where like you can actually get to God. But if you're such a disgusting, shitty person in this life, you're going to hold it against yourself and be like, I can't even look at that light of God up there. And you put yourself in hells. Wow. That's and fascinating, dude. I, I would agree. Do you read a lot? I would love to see your bookshelf. Are you more like an internet researcher? Both. I do have a bookshelf and it does have books, man. Yeah. You know, like I, I've got some Ram Dass stuff. I got plenty of books on detox. I have so many of my old journals because before I started getting a loud mouth and telling everybody my truth, um, you know, truth in my family was very like, don't bring it up. Don't talk about it, especially not at the dinner table, you know? Um, and so I got a journal and I, man, I used to just write for hours and hours and hours. And so I've got an entire fucking bookshelf case just filled with old journals. And then also sketchbooks. Those are, you know, the journals are like the physical writing of what's going on. And then the sketchbooks are the like visual 
what's going on in Chris. Um, so yeah, I, I do enjoy a good book, man. If it if it's relevant to my life, I will read that motherfucker. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned the sketchbook, and I think we gotta before we go to the viewer questions, which we should do. Um, yes. So we gotta. So let's talk about the art a little bit because that's that's really we're talking about your Instagram a lot. Like you post all <laughs> like you post the, the journal like you talking on your story, but all your posts are art. So like, yeah. let's just start off with like, what is the the Ankilla logo? that you have the tattoo you put it on your art like what yeah like what is that i believe it or not i mean that's all it is it's it's just a logo i mean it's become things to me but you know when i first made that logo i was lifeguarding and on my breaks i brought my sketchbook and this is back when you know ankilla this crew was still a thing and I was trying to make a new better logo for them but because they dissolved um I just took the best logo out of it and just gave it to myself and that's what you know the Ankilla A is with the four stripes okay word so it's an A so what I've noticed in your art journey um is that like you would you've always posted art but it seems like your art really got popular and recognized as good when you started making these portraits of people. So like, I mean, do you feel like that's been the experience you've had? Yeah, completely. Like I've always been a fabulous artist. Obviously I'm, you know, I have to learn. So the longer I've been doing it, the better I get kind of thing. Um, But one of the things that I realized is you cannot be an island of a man and expect prosperity and wealth. If you do not share yourself with the world, then your talents will be wasted on yourself, essentially. And this is, I had this realization right after, you know, flying back to Colorado and having knee surgery. Um, And I needed this realization because I was getting disability. So my bills were being paid you know, but I had all this free time and I couldn't run around. So I was just like, fuck it, man, I'll just do art. And it was crazy because like, I was actually having trouble just making art for myself. Like I really just didn't know what I wanted for myself. And so eventually um, I just think I took acid one day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I took acid one day and I was riding my bike. Not that I was supposed to be riding my bike at that point, but fuck it, I could. Um, And so I'm just fucking tripping. And I'm just like thinking about my life, thinking that I need to get my shit together because motherfuckers be messing with me and I don't like where I'm at. I'm just a goddamn fucking dishwasher. My art is just fucking stale right now or stagnant rather. And like, you know, and so I started scheming, thinking about shit ton of things. I'm talking to Mikhail. He's telling me about his album that he hasn't dropped, shit like that. And um, But then it just dawned on me. I was just like, yo, what if I start making portraits of pretty girls? Pretty girls love art, dude. Like, you have no idea how much bitches love a nice little watercolor, right? And so I immediately like just whip out my phone 
and every single like female friend that I have that I feel is like attractive. Oh, dude, Tim Durchy just shot me a follow. That's cool. <laughs> Hell yeah, brother. That's the shit I fucking live for is when your OGs start following you and you're just like, what do I say? <laughs> you know? So anyway, so I started just DMing every single fucking attractive female friend that I have. Um, and Val was the first one to respond. FYI, Val is the fucking shit. She had stage three breast cancer at like age 20. Um, and the doctors wanted to kill her with chemo. She stopped the chemo and she hopped on the fruit diet that I am on. And guess what? No more cancer. It's crazy. It's almost like when you start eating good, you know, like things work out. But anyway, so she was the first one that I did. And if you go back, you'll notice, I think I did like 10 of my female friends. Some of them I wish I could do better. But anyways, it was getting me publicity. It was getting me practice. It was giving me something to do in my day. Um, and if anything at all, all my female friends think I'm cooler, <laughs> you know? And so eventually at a point though, because I knew that I've always wanted to draw or make art of skiing, but like, I just didn't know how to approach it because I'm the type of dude who I'm like, I'm not doing lame shit, you know? And there's some people who make skiing art and I'm just like, that's ugly. That's lame as fuck. Um, and I think my first one of skiers was B-Dog, you know, which dude, Mad props to fucking Phil, homie, because when he was making his animated movie, which I'm, I don't think has dropped yet, if I'm correct. Um, but B Dog's making an animated movie. If you didn't know that, yeah, um, a lot about it. I don't think, I don't think it's out yet. Yeah, yeah, I think it's like a two-year project. Well, anyways, he posted on his G story like, uh, need animator or need artist or something like that. And I immediately shot him the DM and I'm like, I will do it for free. And so, dude, we just started talking, emailing, uh, gave me his phone number and shit. Turns out I was actually not a good enough digital artist to do what he wanted because I was essentially trying to copy the style of his head animator and I just couldn't understand the style. So that was a huge thing that told me like, I need to get better at art because I just let B-Dog down and he just fucking gave me a chance to like do something dope, you know? Um, but anyways, I still had that relationship and I still had his contact info. And so at a point with the portraits, I was just like, I, I want to make one of a skier. And so I hit him up. I was just like, yo dog, can I make you a portrait? And he was like, yeah, dude, definitely sent me a reference picture. And that's the first skier I did was fucking Phil. And like that shit, the picture that he gave me is totally fucking different than the portrait, but like it has the same elements kind of, um, all the pretty colors and giant golden killer a behind them. That's all me essentially with my portraits is, I, I pretty much copy and remake the person in the picture, but the background and everything else is my creative decision to make, to complement their energy kind of thing. And so 
you know, when I did B Dog, that kind of popped off a little bit, you know, and then I hit up like Noah Albiejo. I think he was the next one. And just same thing. It just every time I made somebody a piece of art, they really appreciated it. And like I said, I get all the benefits to portfolio pieces and just work. Um, and then just other people, you know, hear about it. Like when Noah posted the shit on his story, my IG kind of blew up. You know, people were just like, oh, yo, what's this? And so it's been a successful formula. So I haven't stopped. And I just, any skier or snowboarder or girl <laughs> or girl that um, I fuck with, I just, I slide in their DMs and I say, hey, can I make you a piece of art? And if I ask you, if I can make you a piece of art, I do it for free. Now, here's the thing, is if somebody wants me to make a piece of art that they want, that's when I start charging money because like, here's the nice thing about having work is like, you can just straight up tell those people. I'm like, homie, I've got five commissions lined up. You know, like I got fucking Steve Step, fucking Laker, you know, and yada, yada, fucking Sleepy Grill. Like, I'd love to do work for you, homie, but like, I'm too busy. And if you want my time, pay me a hundred dollars and we can talk. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so the, is that what you're doing for your main source of income now? I mean, keep in mind, I'm still on disability until tomorrow. My first day at work is actually back at Whole Foods is actually Monday. So that'll be fun. <laughs> um, but dude, I have been so successful that, yeah, I, I think at some point I'm going to quit my job and just go full-time art because if I can make a hundred dollars a day, I only make $90 for eight hour shifts at Whole Foods. So why wouldn't I make a hundred dollars cash right now? You know, and I, it only takes me like three and a half, four hours to do a piece. Damn. That is fast for what you're putting out. These things are sick. Oh, thanks homie. Appreciate that. Yeah, dude. These are awesome. These only take you four hours. Uh, so, well, at first they were taking me like eight hours just because like I had to understand my process kind of thing. Like I just had to get better. Um, but now I understand my process. I understand my layering, uh, and just how I move about a piece. And so like, especially if these ski kids do these ski kids literally send me a picture of them just in the sky. And so all I have to do is draw them. And then the background's just a blue sky. So I'm yeah. like, well, that was quick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Especially like some of the recent ones, there's a lot of, uh, man in the air type of uh type and they're of all at mount hood they're yeah, all at mount hood, hood. <laughs> yeah dude it really was like a, a huge shift in what you were doing before it was like random art here and there random sketches and then boom like something super consistent that everyone's like sharing reposting i mean you're on the front of new schoolers literally every day yeah, if you make a piece every day, well, nobody else posts fucking pictures. So it's a pretty easy market, you know? Yo, did you hear about my idea with live streaming skiing? No, let's hear it. Oh, God. This is so you've heard me call it the Kanye is skiing, right? Yeah. This is that. This is the idea 
that's going to shift everything. So skiers are broke, right? We can agree that if you're a professional skier, unless you're the top 10, you, you struggle to make consistent good money, especially if you're an amateur skier, you got to work, you got to work one to two jobs to finance your skiing essentially. Right. Um, and so I had this idea. It just came to me. Like, I swear to God, like God just popped it in my head and I fucking ran it over to young Benny. If you know him, he's dope fucking skier. Um, and I'm like, yo, Benny, what if I were to live stream skiing at Copper Woodward? And he's like, yo, dog, that'd be fire as fuck. Because somebody had suggested to me, they're like, oh, dude, you should like stream uh, on Twitch while you paint, you know? That'd be so cool. I would watch that. So I got a Twitch account and, you know, I would do that. And I would get like one or two people who would watch. So that was kind of cool, you know? But then I started checking out what Twitch was, right? And I'm like, damn, this, this is like lame as fuck. These motherfuckers get on this website to watch other people play video games. But then I start hearing that these motherfuckers are like, this is their full-time job. Just playing video games and letting other people watch. They are getting like $50,000 a year kind of thing. If not, I heard some like, some streamers make $250,000, you know? And like, so I'm just like, damn, these motherfuckers getting money, you know? But then exploring Twitch some more, I'm just like, wait, there's people on here that are just live streaming themselves working out. There's a guy making money by just live streaming, walking through the park. And I'm like, this is some real basic bitch shit here these motherfuckers are making money like really and so jumping back to that idea of what if i live stream skiing because how lit would it be if you could have the first person perspective of kicking it at fucking copper mountain at woodward and just you're surrounded by amazing riders and pro riders. Mm -hmm. Like, I would watch that shit. I would definitely watch that shit. And I'm very much against TV and watching shit, you know? And uh, so I've realized that that is a way to bring publicity and money into skiing is live streaming, you know? YouTube was a huge kind of wave. You know, we, we got webisodes, you know, like line traveling circus and shit like that, B&E, you know, kind of shit. And that shit was popping and companies were financing that because people wanted to see it. But now with Twitch, there's 15 million daily users, 15 million people. And like, why wouldn't these people want to watch me following the Fagan twins off of pro line at copper and them just tossing lofty fucking dubs in front of me. And then I catch the chair with them and it's almost like a mini pseudo interview. I can ask them questions or we can just shoot the shit and do, you know, and talk whatever, you know, 
kind of thing. Like, it's really fun. I have a lot of fun park skiing with the people that I'm around, the place I'm in and what I'm doing. And so I started being like, yo, dog, I got to do this. Your boy can make some money, you know? And if I can quit my day job, homie, that's my fucking goal, bro. And so I just actually recently dropped a, like pretty much $3,000 on a live streaming backpack, you know? Yeah. And it's literally a backpack that is just filled to the brim with all the fucking computer equipment and batteries that you fucking need to live stream anywhere you know it comes with its own modem and signal and everything and it has a little camera that comes with it and so that's what i'm gonna do this season hopefully uh backpack should be getting to me here in like two or three weeks it has to be built but uh yeah man we're gonna do that and i think that's going to change the game because that's going nobody else is crazy enough to do this shit straight up i promise you no filmer is crazy enough to filmers are cool but i'm telling you p-dog ain't doing this shit you know owen ain't doing this shit kind of thing and then what you also have to understand dude is like if keep in mind i'm x ain't killer i i can rub shoulders with fucking anyone dude i can talk that shit if you don't know me you will know me kind of thing and i'm cool with everybody that you love all your ogs love me shout out to tim dirty for fucking following me right there um so funny yeah and so like i feel like i'm the best person to pioneer this shit to fucking begin with and then i mean pro skiers are always trying to get publicity they're they purely are functioning off of like principles of marketing you know in order for them to get their money and so if i roll up and I'm just like, yo, Kiernan, yo, dude, let me follow you with that shit. Well, guess what? Everybody on Twitch that's watching that shit is going to follow his IG. He just got 200 extra followers, you know? And if I do it enough, he'll get 5,000, you know? And that's just my perspective on the shit. And I kind of wanted to drop that shit just so everybody knows that I'm going to pop off and I'm calling that I'm going to pop off. Heard it here first. That is the new <laughs> yeah. way. Dude, honestly, I think that people would watch you make art too. Like, I think that if you got the proper setup, you know, two cameras, one one maybe on you in like the top right, and then like just looking down over your art, you could see yourself working on it, but yeah. you really see what you're doing, and then you're just talking. I feel like people oh, would watch dude. that too. And see, that's the thing is like, I started Twitch doing that. And then I found out and keep in mind, I live in Summit County up here has literally the best fucking hiking in like the fucking US. This is a vacation destination. So there's a dude making a shit ton of money off of Twitch. And he just walks in like Central Park in New York. So like, if I'm taking hikes up here, like, dude, I, I can be making money off of this just by taking a hike, taking a bike ride, filming me doing this. Like I'm very much a public figure. I can do a lot. Mm -hmm. Yeah, dude. All right. Let's see. Let's see how that plays out. I'm interested to, uh, I'm interested to see it. Let's move into the viewer questions. This is from the new scholars thread you made rookie. Can you tell us one more time why you're significant to the ski world? Because I create culture. You, you cannot change culture without creating culture. You cannot just destroy 
people's values, you know? You have to add to their values. And one of the reasons I didn't commit suicide is because I had this beautiful vision looking out my window of me doing a cork seven blunt in my fucking gibberish vault hoodie at Keystone's number five jump. And I told myself, I'm, and what that vision told me was I'm going to be a culture defining skier. And through this journey I've taken, I've learned that I can't destroy what's already been done. I have to add to it. I have to be the new shit. And that's why I'm relevant. It's just because everything I do, nobody's seen before. So it's kind of cool. Yeah, I like that. Because you don't think that you're the best skier. No, no, not at all. I'm a dancer, dude. I'm not a skier. I'm a dancer. Like straight up look at all my footage yeah i do some tricks there's a hammer here and there but especially my recent stuff i just dance I, yeah. and i just happen to be a really good dancer <laughs> yeah and so that like that kind of ties in with what titus 69 asks he says will tactile skiing ever be considered a legit form of good style number one fuck that kid uh just because like i've had to block him and he's obnoxious um, but yeah, it totally is. It totally is because it's already has been, you know, I already gave you the history that I'm not the first one to sit down on skis and to do this shit. I mean, shit, Noah Alabadejo already like pioneered this shit. I'm just going deeper into the labyrinth and exploring deeper um, in a new direction. Like he's still, he's still a pioneer you know, exploring what skiing can offer, especially in that modality. But I'm just taking it in a new direction because let's be honest, you don't see Noah Alabadejo swerve knuckles. You don't, I haven't. Yeah, dude, that video of him on the ice, I watched that literally like a thousand times. Dude, oh see, God. that's that shit that gets me so fucking hyped because I'm like, that's that shit. Because if you ride at Keystone, you know that I'd be doing that shit everywhere. You know, like people see me from the gondola, from the chairlift, just this kid sitting on his skis with one foot up in the air or doing that like lean back hand drag and everybody knows it's me. Yeah, I like that. All right, EP Fanboy, who's your current inspiration in skiing and what was the last video part that you watched that inspired you? Ooh, good question. Um, whew, inspirations, man. I mean, obviously... Obviously, I fuck with, like, Dolo, Phil, Mikhail, uh, Panda, um, Noah Alabadejo, Luca Maloney. You know, like, those are all Adam DeLorme, John Brogan. You know, those were, like, my A1 day one inspirations. Um, but the latest thing that I saw that inspired me or segment or edit... Man, see, I, I haven't seen anything recent. There's stuff that gets me hyped, but it's not anything that inspires me, that just blows my eyes wide open. Like uh, that, I would have to say that B&E, you know, Be Inspired, uh, their little like park edit one, I think it's called, uh, That that's the most recent thing that inspired me because that was the first time I saw Dolo and B-Dog 
laying down and sitting down, grabbing their skis. And that's where the idea of tactile skiing really originated in my mind. Mm -hmm. And actually a couple of people asked a a question similar to that, but we'll leave it with that guy. Um, Willie asked top three melons. (laughs) Hell yeah, brother. Um, Fuck dude. Okay. I'll be honest, dude. When, when Colorado local cantaloupes are ripe, which August is the time right now, that might be my favorite fucking melon. It's just so fucking good. Then after that, I would say Juan Canary and then uh, Golden Honeydew. In fact, you can see, see those two yellow balls right there? Yeah, I was looking at those. those. Yeah, those are some Golden Honeydews. <laughs> All right. Willie also asked, how badly has Keystone gone downhill? Trash. Complete trash. It's awful. You know, mm. I, I, it was rumored that Vail was just slashing the budget every year for Keystone's Park. Um, but this year they literally slashed the park. They turned the alley into a bunny hill, you know, and they, you know, at first it was just like, oh, they're just trying it out, you know, just to see what it's like, because apparently it's to redirect ski traffic towards, you know, the concessions by Peru chair or something so that they can sell more shitty hamburgers, um, that's what I heard from park crew, but they straight up, you know, cut the park in half and they didn't change the park at all. They tried to build pro line up on I-70, which I'm like, that's some dumb shit. That I-70 is flat, you know, but apparently doing that shit. Um, but the biggest thing was, is they literally put in permanent like fence poles splitting you know, right down the middle from the alley, you know, and the rest of the main park. So like the alley is completely dead, you know, and it was just trash. It was really disappointing. And I told myself, I was like, fuck it. I'm going to copper. Copper is popping off. Like nobody, nobody skied Keystone last year. Like it was crazy, man. Like I, I didn't put out that many edits, not because I was too injured or not because I didn't want to and I was preparing tricks for it is because I had no one to film with. It was a ghost town every single fucking day. The only benefit was is I was guaranteed to be the best fucking kid every single day at Key, you know, which I can't lie. I love that type of love because I was getting dummy fucking love this past season at keystone like just from tourists all the way to the you know few younger park kids that were there so a little hype yeah um would you ever think about moving out to this isn't a viewer question but follow-up question because yeah. summit County's be like kind of dying out for the ski scene um yeah. would, you ever, would you ever move to uh, salt lake city i've thought about it uh, I've thought about it. Um, it is dope. I I can't lie. Salt Lake City, you know, I was just there at Gepper's place. It's a nice place. It is comparable. Um, and, you know, I've thought about it for a romantic interest. You know, I'm just like, ooh, if I live out there, maybe I could date her. Damn. You know, I've, I've had that thought too. Um, but 
I really like Summit. Um, I'm just going to play it by ear, but pretty much I'll be in Summit until I, I'm not in Summit. Mm. All right. So, Jack Katie, shout out Ski Sundown. Uh, fave detail of recent project at Gepland. On Gepland, Gepland Farms, where we only make the finest genetically modified athletes. <laughs> um, uh, favorite detail, if I had to be straight up with you, homie, like the backside of the mural uh, above his skate ramp is like, dude, I, I, did, I just did that off of the top of the dome and that's my favorite fucking shit and... I, I had a lot of fun doing it. Um, the mural on the front is dope, but it's much more like Nick's idea more than my idea. Like I was just kind of the facilitator. Um, there is a nice little chain that I painted, you know, my Ankylla chain. I painted that in the bottom right corner as like my little calling card because that's what I'm going to do. Keep your eye open for Ankylla riding chains. That's going to be a thing because I've already made them and I've already shipped them to your favorite riders. <laughs> All right. Um, uh, this this kid on New Schoolers, B Lands. I know you yeah. make your own ski pants and shit like that. Do you plan on starting a brand or something like that in the future? Um, so this is what I realized. Um, so I first started making my own shit. Um, well, I, I was making hoodies and tall tees just because like it was the best way to get a tall tee was just to like fucking make it, you know? Um, but then the pants came along because Saga's quality is just so fucking trash. I blew open the crotch of their fucking, um, I don't know, one of their pairs of fucking pants that I bought from them. And literally I hit them up and I'm like, yo, your crotch blew out in like a month. You know, that's not even a month straight of skiing. And they're just like, well, do you sag your pants? And I'm like, well, of course I do. I'm a fucking park rat. That is your brand. Like type in OG Saga and you'll see a fucking picture of like Steve Stepp and Adam DeLorme, you know, just sagging their fucking faces off. And I'm like, dude, that's what you market. And they're just like, sorry, we can't help you. And I'm like, can I at least get a discount on a new pair? And they're like, and so I just, I decided um, over the summer that I worked uh, at level one and I was living in my van. Um, I just decided that I was going to make my own ski pants, you know, and I was going to make them really burly tough. And so they're denim ski pants. They have a water, waterproof canvas inside, but the outside is a 10 ounce black denim. And uh, yeah. Anyways, that's how I got into making uh, snow pants. And I have a second pair too, which are pretty fly if you haven't seen. But I was also still making all the hoodies and shit. And yes, at a certain point, I did want to make a brand because gibberish has just completely fucking fallen off. Gibberish is not what they used to be. I mean, props to them for being the brand that they are now. Hopefully they make more money this way. Um, but I'm not, I, I'm not stoked on gibberish anymore. I, I think it's pretty meh, just meh level, nothing special. So I wanted to be the new gibberish because I understood 
the quality, the production level of their pieces. And so all of my pieces have that production level. They're very well designed. The craft on them, a little sketchy. Don't look at my scenes. But anyways, to answer your question, I tried to make a clothing brand. It was going to be Ankilla Apparel. Then it turned to Ankilla Kitted, um, which I still like Ankilla Kitted. Uh, but whenever I would sell my pieces or give away my pieces to homies, kids would never wear them while skiing or they would just like not wear them appropriately, you know, like to wear my gear, you have to be a certain type of rider, homie. Like if you're just some fucking, you know, basic ass average Joe park kid, you're going to look retarded in my shit. However, when I put on my shit, I look like a goddamn fucking God. So that's where I'm at. Word. All right. He also asks, I'll just read the whole thing instead of cutting yeah. it down. In the past, you have talked about tactile skiing, changing the game, and people will need special equipment and shit to accommodate the different riding style. Do you still think that it will blow up? Or have you changed your thoughts on that at all? So really what I want to touch on that, because you've already given your thoughts on tactile skiing. You said it's already it's already a thing. Do you think that people will actually need special equipment at some point to like enhance it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Two things that I think you need. Number one is the thing that you need the most is you need durable gloves with how much you put your hands on the snow. Dude, you tear up gloves mad fucking quick. If you buy retail gloves like DeKine's North Faces, you will blow those motherfuckers open in a week. It is retarded. I have spent too much money on retail gloves like that. Um, however, there's this guy named uh, Eric Samuelson. Uh, he's over in Steamboat, if I'm correct. And uh, he runs Link Designs, which is a custom knit uh, company. And he just, he makes upcycled leather mitts. And I happened to like be good homies with him because of Copper's Hike Park a few years ago. And uh, I told him that my issue and we more or less, you know, started creating a glove. We call it the knuckle dragger, you know? And so the things that make it different is it has two layers of leather on the palm. So the palm is super reinforced kind of thing. Um, and then the other second thing is the glove is really long. The glove like goes easily half up your forearm so that when you're dragging your hand, you're not busting through your, your glove and snow's getting in your glove. That's not happening with that double layer, but then your gloves are so high up your arm that you're not getting any snow down in your wrist. Because when I first started swerving like that, you know, I was blowing gloves open and then I was just getting so much snow up my wrist, you know, like I, I have hands, you know? And so the second thing, um, which I haven't really addressed, I've kind of addressed it, is if you're sitting down on your skis and skiing all day, that snow coming up off of your tails shoots right up your fucking back. So if you're wearing tall tees, you're the 
pretty much your ass part of that tall tea is going to be just a fucking ice cake, you know, after about like two hours of riding. Um, and so that sucks because if you're drooping your snow pants so that when you're sitting on the chairlift, that's actually just your bum with your gym shorts under it, sitting on a icicle of a tall tee. And so your ass is just completely wet and cold. So I had to modify my gear to be high waisted or to be um, a bib because a bib solves that issue. Your, the back of your tall tee still gets wet and frozen just because my shit is 41 inches tall. I'm a tall fucking guy at 6'1". And then I love wearing tall shit and no tall tees team size is not big enough. That's 39 inches. I need 41 to hit my knees. Word. Some of these other kids, I mean, yeah, I feel like we've already talked about you, you not being on meds cause you just eat fruit instead and you don't need yeah, medication. Dude. Oh, and I'll, I'll add this as a little side note is my mom, since I was born has been on like, antipsychosis pills ssrs and all that fucking shit gabinextrum and shit like that and they don't work i have actively watched my mom be depressed as fuck all my life and the pills the pills just numb her but eventually the pills don't numb her and so she has to get more pills to numb her and i i think she's doing better right now but i'll tell you what dude that medication is just being sedated it doesn't actually fix the problem mm. before i go into these ones who is deep period rest on instagram do you know him i kind of know him i thought i forget i i don't know he's just been a lurker that's like been watching my shit but it turns out he's uh so you you know emmett that uh runs vishnu yeah apparently he's his homie and so he actually asked me to do a fucking commission for emma's birthday which emmett and i were beef hard i fucking had to block vishnu i had to block clonopin dream his main account and shit like that which now it's all love now it's all love i've cooled down a lot from then but he's being obnoxious for a while but yeah i made a commission of emmett uh holding his fucking cat I think his cat's name is Michael. So that's who was holding the cat. I was always wondering who that one was and how it yeah, related dude. to skiing. He, fucking Don is skiing right there, dude. That's crazy. All right. Well, this kid. Yeah. He asked like six questions. So we can go really? through. Really? Yeah. He has a bunch of them. All right. Um, do you, well, the first one, do you smoke tobacco? <laughs> Sadly right now? Yes. Uh, I, I didn't. I now I have always liked tobacco in my weed, you know, because fucking nicotine, homie. But then I went to fucking Gepper's house and his roommate, Mike, has a really strong fucking nicotine vape pen. And so I picked up a fucking little addiction there. And then I got back here and I'm like, maybe I'll buy some backwoods. And so yeah, I've been smoking little moles and shit, and I'm, like, slapping myself on the wrist, like, stop crashing your fucking lungs. So his follow-up question to that is, if yes, how is that healthier than bread? 
it's not. It's not. They're both trash. They're both trash in just different ways. So when you combust something and you breathe in the fumes, uh, all of that is acidic in its pH. It's dehydrating. It's, it's not liquid. It's not hydrating you. So you have all that ash, all that tar, and everybody knows it'll give you cancer and it'll fuck up your lungs and you won't have as you won't have as good of cardio and not get enough oxygen. Bread, let's just take typical white bread. There's a few reasons it's shitty. Number one, it's bleached. Those motherfuckers are bleaching your food. I know they say that it's food safe, but why the fuck do you need to pour bleach on something I'm gonna eat? Like, what the fuck? And then next is it's so it's a complex carbohydrate. Those also have acidic pHs, so they're dehydrating. So think about this. If you had a spoonful of water and there was a piece of bread and you just poured the water on the bread, the bread would absorb the water. So when you eat bread, it does the same thing in your intestines. It sucks the water out of your intestines and your body needs those fluids. And now you have this dry fucking chunk inside you and the third thing that's bad about it is gluten which gluten is glue you know it's a pro it's a wheat protein that's sticky proteins and starches are sticky and so they stick in your fucking guts you know so tobacco you got to detox it try not to do it homie but i can understand if you do it for social events like with that chick that came over last night, yeah, I was fucking smoking some moles with her. I fuck with that shit. That's how I chill out, you know? Um, or like eating bread. If like, if a homie like makes me something really special, but it has bread in it, you know, like I'm still going to eat it, you know, but I'm not going to buy, I don't buy bread. I don't fucking do that. That's just waste money. Mm-hmm. All right. Here's another question related to that. How can you shame people for drinking and eating shitty when you smoke cigs and drink? And I think by cigs, <laughs> he just means tobacco in general. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, he's not wrong. I, I've definitely been hypocritical, you know? Um, it's just that at least probably the angst that he's coming from is I called the year 2019 is the year of the hater to me just like the amount of hate I was getting, I would wake up every single day to like five to eight DMs, you know, uh, with most of it just being haters, you know, some of it being friends that just wanted to talk. Um, And, you know, I was very much trying to find myself in the lifestyle that would actually suit me. And sadly, you have to demonize things and say, this is not right. I don't condone it. So, I went a little hard and a little bit of a purist in a way. Um, I'm dialing that back down, you know, obviously like even I've dialed down, you know, my, my, or dialed up, I guess my drug use with smoking a little tobacco and drinking when it is socially appropriate and okay for me. So yeah, I'm sorry. I was a shithead. I used to post on my IG. I would screenshot pics of like everybody's favorite pro just eating junk food. 
and I would just like post it on my story and be like, your favorite skiers eat trash. And I pissed off a lot of people doing that. I pissed off Cody Waldre once and oh man, dude, you fucking slid in my DM. He's just like, I will beat you in anything. And you know what I told him? I was just like, okay, let's see who can live the longest. <laughs> right here. Uh, but we cool now, especially because of the piece. And then we also just kind of laughed it off. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm a new person. Word. Look at that. Some growth, some personal growth. All right. All right. We'll move on from him because he, he asked a bunch of questions and we're running out of time. Yeah. Um, Shkos, Shkos, how does the Dunning-Kruger effect apply to your life? And are you familiar with the Dunning-Kruger effect? Fuck. I looked it up. I saw that and I looked it up the other day. Isn't it just like placebo? Is it? I don't it's know. Like, so, okay. So the, the way I understand it is that it's like a the, the graph looks like a, a sharp spike and then a very a very fast decline and then a slow progression upwards and it's basically like when you first learn about something or or you're naive you think you know Whoa. everything you think you know yeah. everything but then the more yeah. you learn you realize you actually don't know anything and then that's when you that's when you start to begin to actually learn it and rebuild your confidence yeah, that's that's kind of how I felt with because when I first got on a fruit diet, I had watched so many hours of Dr. Morse lectures that I really thought I knew everything. Um, and, you know, like I knew the basic protocol, like I knew if somebody's sick, change their food, you know, mm. or encourage them to eat less kind of thing. But what I didn't know, man, is when I started getting into actual fasting whoa like juice fasting uh water fasting dry fasting dude that shit just kicks your fucking ass and you're just like wow i really don't know shit um it was a very huge learning experience and very much like a spiritual journey because like dude when you start fasting life gets weird it gets really psychedelic but not in like you know the lsd shroom type of psychedelic it gets a little bit like that you know but you're just perception your understanding of life in the world you can't be around other people when you're fasting it's very much a solo journey and that dude i i still i'm not a master of it i still will fail a you know a single day fast you know because it's it's the epitome of withdrawal Food is drugs, and you will feel the withdrawal of food. You're not going to die. I have, I've done a dry fast for four and a half days before, which really helped my knee, FYI. Um, and also, I, I excreted some crazy shit from my colon. Um, but, you know, like, for four and a half days, no food, no water, and you won't die. But... It is a very intense experience and you do not get to sleep. Your body does not let you sleep too, too well. Mm. There you have it. So you really didn't, you, you thought you knew a lot and then you realized there's way more that you didn't know. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Worm racer, which is actually Andy Perry. Oh, really? 
Yeah. So what is your most controversial theory slash non-mainstream thought? Okay, number one, Andy, fucking reply to my DMs and send me a fucking picture so I can make you a goddamn portrait. That's number one. Number two, um, most controversial viewer opinion, man. I think I said something on New Schoolers to it, but I'll, I'll just come up with something now. Um, and I don't know. There's a lot that just freak people out. I mean, even just the diet thing, the fruit thing, as we have learned, freaks people the fuck out. Flat Earth freaks people the fuck out. Reptilians freak the people fucking out. Um, I think my most controversial theory, and I'm just going to do kind of like a more generic one, um, is that nobody has an idea what's going on. Everybody's just, people really don't know. And all of my crazy conspiracy theories, they're just stories I have heard. You know, I've never actually touched an art con. I've never actually touched flat earth you know the edge of flat earth or the firmament so you know what i mean mm -hmm. but you're open to those things yeah you're, that's you're open biggest... to those things being a possibility yeah it, if it makes sense to me and i can't outright deny it you know there's some people that are just like bro science mm -hmm. and i'm like okay what about science they're like dude trust the science i'm like yeah what about the science and that's the shit that pisses me off is too many people, you know, they really, they speak out of feeling more than they speak out of reality kind of thing. And that was one of those things is just like, I'm sorry, I can't deny what I've heard is on the table. It's on the table until I can touch something that proves that it's off the table, you know? Mm -hmm. So they're not even, they're not even like deeply held beliefs. So they're just theories. You're like, I don't know what's going on. Here's a theory. Let's consider could. it. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's just could, could. And sometimes, you know, those theories kind of check out. So we'll end it with the question from Swift Louie. He says, drop some yeah. motivation for fellow aspiring artists slash creatives looking to set themselves apart. Maji, Maji. That's a great fucking question. Um, man, there's just so much to say, man. It's just like, it's, it's the beauty of it all. This, the struggle, like one of, one of the things that has kept me moving is just telling myself in the future, I'm going to look back at this moment right now and say, damn, I was in the middle of the fucking struggle, the hardest of the fucking hardship is actually right now. I'm going somewhere better. And I, I just am, I just am. There's, you know, especially as a person like me and a, a skier artist, there's really, minus like Chris Ben Chetler and like what Eric Pollard, like we're a pretty unique demographic of people. I'd be curious to meet those guys. And you have to have a certain drive and a certain passion that's just inside you, a certain fire inside you. And 
see, a lot of people don't. A lot of people don't have that. And so therefore, therefore, typically they're not, you know, they're not trying to hustle anything anyways. Um, but if you have that burning desire, that just magnetic draw in this direction is you need to believe in yourself, homie. You need to get your shit straight because like, you know, it's nirvana at the end, man. It is like heaven on earth at the end. For me, like my entire pursuit of this dream is very sexual for me. I'm just an incredibly sexual person as you probably have already can tell from everything I just kind of sneak in there. Um, <laughs> shout out to girls, hey. <laughs> um, yeah, and so like to me, a beautiful woman is sitting at the end of this journey and I do not get that if I do not do this, you know? And so everything is worth it. And sometimes the biggest conflicts make the best fucking stories. So next thing you know, you're telling that story on a fucking podcast and everybody now knows why you're in the mental hospital. And they're kind of like, okay, I understand that. And so like, you know, and everybody has that shit. Every single motherfucker that we look up to has had a conflicted life. And they have just had the strength, the drive, the faith, the vision to just stick with it and go. And they use everything and anything possible. You know, motivation is the currency here, homie. If you don't keep motivation then you stagnate. And if you stagnate, you die. That is at least my perspective is if I stop growing, I will not just stay at that point of growth. I'll just die. I will just die. So I don't have a choice, you know, especially with the emotions that I have and how quickly I cycle through emotions, you know, like I, I don't have a choice. This is just the life that I have come into. And this is just how it is. But with that being said, it gives me so much pleasure. It has shown me some of the coolest shit out there. You know, I have a great day, typically every day, at least of right now, you know, back before depression is a real fucking bitch. Um, and shout out to everybody who has depression. I promise you that is just a phase. People get mental illness when they do not feel like they are supposed to be where they're at, you know? But see, that's the thing is every, if everybody got to do what they wanted to do, there wouldn't be any mental illness because how could you feel bad if you're doing what you want to do and you're having fun and you're healthy? And it's like, yeah. And that's why I always kind of laugh when kids tell me they're, bipolar they're depressed they're suicidal you know to where a lot of people are like oh I'm so sorry you know which is essentially just kind of like uh don't tell me about that shit just go die somewhere else you know uh it really be that way um but like I laugh at it because like I know that I've gotten through it I hold the keys to getting through it one of my best homies Cheyenne when I met her, she was fucking dying of lupus to the point to where like she was not going to be able to work a grocery store job. She was so fucked up from it. But, you know, like, you know, I 
gave that girl some good dick, some good words of advice, you know, put her on the fucking fruit. You should see that girl. She's fucking glowing. And she hardly has symptoms of lupus anymore. Um, and so there is a way. There is a way to all my fucking homies out there hustling. There is a way to keep it 100 and to fucking get everything you want. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. You have to put in the work. You, you know, all these new age spiritual people are like, oh, I'm manifesting something with words of affirmation. You know, they're like, I will be a skinny hot girl. I will be a skinny hot girl. But yet they're still eating Funyuns on the fucking couch and binge watching Netflix. So it's like, that's, that's not what you're telling the universe. Sure, you're telling yourself, but the universe relies on actions. The universe is like straight up death and it's just watching you. And so whatever you do, it just replies to you in the same type of energy. So if you actually start putting in work, like i.e. me doing all of these portraits out of the blue, but it's being really fucking successful and people are loving this shit and I'm getting more and more commissions, you just have to do it. And typically you have to do some type of shit for your dreams that nobody else is willing to do. So I'm saying this is like, you might enjoy the work, but understand it's going to be work and it's going to be hard work, you know? So just straight up love, man, just to everybody who's hustling. Um, and you just got to understand your motivation. I Last thing I will say, last thing I will say is a big, a big kind of moment to me when it comes to, I don't know, just motivation and how I get through each day and all the problems. Give it to God, homie. Give it to God. Now, I, I ain't preaching to you like no Catholic, no Baptist or nothing like that. I am preaching to you as the good Lord and Swerva, <laughs> ex killer, you know, Jesus Christ, uh, Kanye is skiing, all that good shit. Um, no, but like, just talk to, just start a relationship with God. Just talk to him like he's your big homie, as if he's just sitting in the room and he's just like your best friend who's just trying to help you, homie. And you're just being real with him, you know? And that's just how I talk to God. I'm just like, yo, what's good, homie? I don't do... No, I don't fucking do that shit. You know, I used to do that shit because that was how I was taught growing up. Um, but now it's just like, nah, God is like, and here's the thing. You don't even have to believe in God for this to work for you. You can just view yourself as God. You can just view yourself as just like a positive force in your life because realistically you yourself want you to succeed so why not just call yourself a god and just get over with it or you can put it to a higher power above you that's rearranging earth and giving you good luck because you know you're telling god what you want you're giving him the emotions associated with it and then you're also putting in the fucking work you have to put in the fucking work like put in the I'm telling you motherfuckers don't do shit if you start doing shit you already elevate yourself out of the 99% because I swear to god 
99% of people don't do shit. They go to work, they watch some TV, they go to bed. That's it. Thank you for coming on. That was <laughs> fascinating. Bruh, I mean, all I can say is like, I'm going to listen to all of these myself. But also, I listen to Joe Rogan podcasts that are like four hours long and never bothers me as long as the person talking is interesting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we'll see. Yep. Amen, bro. Amen. Well, I appreciate you fucking having me because this is tight, man. I feel like I'm just on the come up and I, I just feel the fucking escalator to fucking heaven right now. And this very much feels like a step in the process. So I appreciate it. The shit was hyped. It got me mad hyped. So yeah, I'm fucking hell yeah, bro. Hell yeah, dude. I know